What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS Podcast. Your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, on this Wednesday, December the 1st, the year 2021. I hope you all had a help, happy, and safe, and wonderful Thanksgiving with your friends and family and loved ones. As we will uh, get to all the happenings as far as the world of sports is concerned. Recap Week 12 the National Football League with Urinating Tree, the one and only great YouTuber coming up later on in the program. You better believe that I will have, uh, you know, do my victory lap, so to speak, as my Cincinnati Bengals absolutely destroyed Pittsburgh Steelers over the weekend. We'll get into a little bit. Of, we'll get into that uh, for sure here in this uh, program. Gave you my two cents on the Ravens and the Browns. A Sunday night game. Got I got a, a couple of things I want to say on that, and some uh, noteworthy college football storylines as college football next to the NFL has really uh, been giving us uh, the sports fans some uh, tremendous news and tremendous items to talk about. Essentially. Since uh, Saturday afternoon on the, what day was that? The 29th of, uh, no, excuse me, the 27th of the month of November. November. Sincere apologies for no show uh, during Thanksgiving weekend. I was busy with work. I worked Black Friday. I worked the Saturday after that. You know, was dealing with a little bit of a cold that my brother that my brother gave me because he dealing around with them sickly bastards that he goes to school with and probably runs into work with. So I was a little bit under the so I was a little bit under the weather this weekend. On top of the fact being busy as hell with work and everything, so my sincere apologies for not uh, having a show for you guys uh, that last weekend. But we are back here on Wednesday, and I promise there will be a show for you guys uh, come Friday. But uh, let's get, because we're going to discuss the, you know, week 12 with Yonating Tree, talk about the Rams, talk about the Packers, talk about uh, the Titans and the Patriots. And, you know, so we'll save all of it. We'll save the, the meat potatoes of week 12 and the Thanksgiving games that I care about uh, with him. We'll save that for later. Uh, but what we will do, uh, the two games want to do a, a, a solo, well, obviously it's solo, that's why they call it a monologue. Two games I want to do a monologue on, and then I'll get to the college football and then to some other things, is the Rave, is the Bengals and Steelers game here at the top, and then take a break and then get to the Ravens and Browns game that occurred on Sunday night. So provide a little bit of an AFC North theme here to begin the program as we enter the month of December. Kiss. Uh, Thanksgiving good night and look forward to the Christmas uh, holiday uh, for those who celebrate and uh, double high uh, Mazel Tov, uh, Shabbat Shalom, uh, Happy Hanukkah to uh, you Jewish, uh, to my Jewish uh, listeners and fans of the Avatar Katalia's podcast, Mike and the Orange, Mike and the OC, of course, being uh, our uh, big time uh, fan of the Jewish faith uh, that's on the top of the uh, fandom totem pole. But where we begin is with the Bengals and the Steelers. Uh, Bengals beating uh, Pittsburgh 41-10. to And let me tell you, listen, I understand I, t- I came on here and I told you guys after the Brown beat down that the season's over, this team is finished, this team shows that they can't handle success. I, I said that. I'm not backing down for that. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't say it. I said it. 
I came over here and said season's over, team's not making the playoffs. Now, here's what you have to realize. Is my mind completely flipped where it's, you know, Bengals are winning the division and going to the playoffs, Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl? No. And for everybody that was like, well, Jai, they've had such a phenomenal start to the season, so much promise, Joe Burrow, I say, I say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't get me wrong. I take no pleasure in me saying what I said after the Brown game, what, three weeks ago. I take no pleasure in saying that. I took no pleasure in saying it. But what you also have to understand is two things. One, as a fan of this team that has, that for one, as a long-suffering fan of this team since 2007, that's, appear, that's uh, suffered many of late season and playoff heartbreak, how could you blame me? Because it's not necessarily against this 2021 Bengals team, it's against the Bengals franchise and how historically throughout my life, they've done nothing but break my heart and let me down. And only a fool keeps on going and only a fool keeps on going back to the abuser expecting not to get abused. Only a fool goes back to the same old damn person or the same old damn thing, you know, that's broken their heart ad infinitum and expects not to get their heart broken. So, so it, so that, so it's the, it's the quote unquote PTSD of getting my heart broken with, with, by this franchise. That's the first thing. Second thing, I, as a fan, I'm allowed to say season's over. We're not going anywhere. They're not making the playoffs. They're not winning a playoff game. They're not this. They're not that. I'm allowed to say that and quote unquote overreact in the middle of the season in the month of November. I'm allowed to say that and I'm allowed to feel that way because I'm a fan. I can think that way. I can say that. I can tweet that. But I don't, but as much as I may feel, one way about my football team, the players and the coaches within that football team have to think totally different. 180. They have to think totally different from what I think. Because they have to have the mindset that we're a good football team. We we are going to go places. Not just in the near future, but this year. We got we got expectations. That we put upon ourselves. We want to play the third weekend in Jan- We want to continue to play football the third weekend in January. We want to be able to one of those team, one of those fourteen teams, that have a chance to win the Super Bowl when it's all said and done. I don't want Zach Taylor, Burrow, or any of those guys throughout that locker room or the coaching staff having that quote unquote defeatist attitude. I can because I'm a fan. I I, I don't control what this team does on a weekend week up basis. I just, I I root like hell for them. I complain and moan and groan and and scream and yell when they screw screw up. And I give my thoughts and I give my opinions on them on my Twitter Twitter and Instagram accounts. And and thank thank God for for the little platform I have in this little corner of the world on this podcast. That's all. But the players and coaches can't think necessarily the way the fans think. And thank God that they don't. 
Because I'm trying to tell you right now, the way my Cincinnati Bengals played against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday, I said last year that the Titan game was their best win of the season. Well, and I said that the Raven game was the best that they played all year back on the 24th of October. This Steeler game might be... It might it, it 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 might be it might overtake the Raven game, it might, and if it doesn't, it's a very close second, because the Cincinnati Bengals just impose their will on the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. Zach Taylor and I listen. I have been critical of him. I have been. I have insulted him. Got to be fair. Got to be honest. I have been critical of him. I've insulted him. I've insulted, you know, his ability to, you know, be a be a head coach at on, you know, at on the NFL level. I've I've questioned his football expertise. I've I've questioned his ability to. I've I've questioned his ability to lead. Uh, to lead, uh, to lead, to lead, uh, to lead this team. I've questioned this play calling. I've questioned everything underneath the sun you can imagine about Zach Taylor. And, and, and could you blame me? Prior to this 2021 season of how this franchise has performed, you couldn't blame me for it. If you were being honest with yourself, but I gotta say, whatever he did. And the Bengals, historically, at least under the Marvin Lewis era, at least, have historically been one of the worst teams in the National Football League. Have been one of the worst teams in the National Football League coming off of bye weeks. Especially in the Marvin Lewis era. Bengals have won two straight coming off of bye. And the way that they've done it has been in convincing and 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 encouraging convincing and encouraging fashion of how they beat the Raiders in Vegas on the road uh, going up against a Vegas team that needed that game just as much if not more as Cincinnati needed that game they struggled early bro with the fumble on the opening drive their offense was stuck in a rut for a little bit, but eventually, but as Zach Taylor said after the game, and I'll reiterate it after the Raider game, I'll reiterate it here. You know, eventually the dam was going to break and give him all the credit in the world, give him and Brian Callahan all the credit in the world for punching up a phenomenal game plan of, of letting the offense run through Joe Mixon, be able to win the battle in the trenches, out, be out, 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 out hit. And be more physical than your opposition, win the battle at the line of scrimmage, and let Joe Mixon run the damn football. And eventually, the play action and the pass play is going to open up for Joe Burrow to make plays with his arm, the future all-pro talent that he is. And he ain't going to hit up T. Higgins. You're going to find Jamar Chase. You're going to find C.J. Uzama. And then next, and the next thing you know, you blink, and you're going to put up 30-plus points against Vegas and walk out of there with a victory. And then all and all is well with the Bengals again, sitting at six and four. And then you head into this game where 
you're riding where the last time you played the Steelers in your building, last December before Thanksgiving, the infamous Monday night Christmas miracle game with Ryan Finley, when, uh, you know, Von Bell and Corvette Corvette on Juju Smith-Schuster's punk ass. I, I, the, the, a, the Steelers will never live that down. And B, and B, if the Bengals, you know, got, my lips to God's ears, if the Bengals end up becoming a franchise that, you know, wins a couple Super Bowls in this 2020s decade, or at least appears in, in a couple of them, and the, and the Steelers have nine miles of, of bad road the rest of this decade, uh, you know, when Ben Roethlisberger decides to hang it up, the people are going to look at that game as essentially when 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 the roles were reversed and the tides uh, changed between between uh, the Cincinnati Bengals franchise and the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise. But I digress. The last time Pittsburgh came into their building, they absolutely embarrassed them on Monday Night Football. That was less than a that was less than a year ago. But the last time they played, but the last time they played Pittsburgh earlier in the season, they beat them by the final score of twenty-four to ten back in Week Three in Pittsburgh uh, on on September the twenty-sixth. Pittsburgh's offense, Pittsburgh's offense was disgusting, pathetic. Couldn't do it. Couldn't move the ball worth the damn. Granted, they had no T.J. White, but they did. But they did an absolutely phenomenal job. Jamar Chase. Caught a couple of caught a couple of touchdown passes, and it was smooth sailing for Cincinnati. Pittsburgh comes into their building on Sunday and just absolutely lays, just brings the wood and and beats the living hell out of Pittsburgh and flat out embarrasses them. Joe Mixon with career high rushing yards, 165 yards on the ground, 28 carries, ran for two touchdowns on the afternoon. I mean, Joe Mixon. I mean, and again, I didn't mean to get myself sidetracked, but I'll say it again. Whatever Zach Taylor did coming off of the bye week as far as making sure that this ought to take the pressure off of Joe, and, 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 and to be absolutely fair to Zach Taylor and to give him all the credit he absolutely positively deserves. The good coaches, especially when you've got a young quarterback, you know how to take the pressure off of him. Which is why Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots have done such a phenomenal job because the game plan that Belichick and McDaniels have put in place takes the pressure off of Mac Jones, where he doesn't have to play hero ball and feel the need that he has to make the big time uh, uh, clutch, no, no risk it, no biscuit type of type of throws and type of plays to uh, feeling pressured to put the to uh, to put New England in a situation where they gotta where they gotta outscore their opponent in order for them to win games, relying too much on the quarterback, which is kind of which is kind of what's uh, bitten bitten the Chargers in the ass uh, over. Over the course of the season, as we still can't figure them out, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving, heading into December. But that's what that's what makes the good coaches with the young quarterbacks. Belichick knows how to keep the how to keep the pressure off of Mac Jones, and knows and knows how to not overwhelm him with the game plan, knowing what his strengths and weaknesses are, and and and, and picking his spots and, and executing the uh, executing the, uh, the 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 spaces that are created for Mac Jones to succeed. For that offense to succeed, for that offense to score touchdowns, for that offense to put up points, for that offense to control time of possession, and go out there and let their defense hunt, 
hunt and let the and, and have the Patriots win football games. Similar thing is what you're seeing with Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. You know, take they and Joe Burrow admitted it. They fell in love with the hero ball and with the deep ball way too much with Jamar Chase, which was which was a recipe for success offensively in the earlier stages of the season. It's it began to catch up. It it caught after the uh, after the Raven game. It caught up with them in the, it caught up with them in the Jets game and and in their offense didn't even show up against Cleveland a week after that. So it went back. To the drum board, they say, "Okay, guys, I understand. He is our he he. You know, he got picked fifth overall in the draft. He's our first round draft pick, and he's going to be here for many a season to come. And we got Jamar Chase for for a reason. I understand he's a phenomenal talent and could end up winning Rookie of the Year if if his September and October self shows up in the last month and two weeks of the remaining of the regular season. But let's not also forget that our that our that our entire offense isn't just Jamar Chase. We got T Higgins here who was a who was a nice draft pick we got uh, la, la, uh, you know the year we the year we got Burrow out of uh, out of Clemson. He's no scrub. He can be he can be an All Pro wide receiver. Uh, he can be an All Pro wide receiver and, and can be just as good as as Jamar Chase. We just we just groom him and, and put more work and and give him more touches and give him more opportunities to make big time plays. We got Tyler Boyd, who's one of the elder statesmen uh, of this of of the wide receiver room, who's a Pro Bowl wide receiver, who's one of the Best of the business as well. Let's not forget about him. Let's not forget about him too. And oh by the, and oh by the way, we got a running back here, Joe Mixon, who when he's healthy, and that's a big win, and that's a and that's a big if one of the, you know a best 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 ability is availability. But when Joe Mixon is on the field and he's healthy, he is one of he is a top ten, top five best running back in the sport, hands down, without a question. We we we've seen that in and and many a seasons in the last few years of Andy when Andy Dalton was here and and with Joe Burrow it's not anything different. Joe Mixon's on the field. Joe Mixon's healthy and you get decent offensive line play. Joe Mixon is gonna is gonna rack up yards. He's gonna milk the clock. He's going to he's going to uh, rule. T- he's gonna help Cincinnati the Cincinnati uh, team rule their opponent in time of possession. And they go and 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 it's gonna keep the de- and it's gonna wear out the defense. Wear out the defensive line. Wear out the li- wear out the linebackers and and set up opportunities for big plays. A la the uh, a la the burrow to uh, uh, T Higgins catch that you saw in the that you saw in the second that you uh, saw in the second uh, later on later on in the first half and it just Joe Mixon who is just a phenomenal runner runner of the football finds his holes executes them properly phenomenal reads good burst of speed can you know can run downhill up up can run uh downhill and as as best as any running back in the sport and Zach Taylor realized that said hey we 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 got a running we got a running game here we got a real time running back here in Joe Mixon let's use them and get and give them the ball and take the pressure off, take the pressure off of Burrow and and uh and keep the ball out of his hands more you know when when we don't when we don't have to have him throw it 30 plus times a game because like I say it all the time your quarterback's throwing thir- throwing 35 37 40 
45 plus times in a game. Nine times out of ten, that's a recipe for disaster. You got to be able to have a balanced offense in order for you to succeed and keep the defense off balance in order for you to uh, make plays and put the ball in the end zone. And you saw that a lot with Mixon, who had had one of his uh, one of his best games I've ever seen him uh, have as a pro. Took the ball, took the pressure off of Burrow, and and, and you know he only Burrow only threw the ball twenty four times, had four incompletions. One out of the four was an interception of Micah Fitzpatrick twenty. 24 through for 190 that touchdown pass to T Higgins uh and also and ran for a touchdown on the Bengals on the Bengals opening drive where he caught the where he caught the Steelers defense off guarding and and and, and uh got him leaning I mean just an absolutely phenomenal phenomenal job by the Cincinnati Bengals offense uh against Pittsburgh on Sunday and then give Zach Taylor and Callahan a ton of credit. Switch it up the game and give and give a lot of credit to the Bengals defense as well. Uh, you know the pass the pass rush was phenomenal. They got the they sacked Ben Roethlisberger three times, picked him off twice. Von Bell baited Ben Roethlisberger beautifully, beautifully to, uh, for the pick six to put Cincinnati up thirty one to three. Uh, at, in the closing seconds of the first half, they stopped. They stopped the run. They stopped the run. Well, granted, Pittsburgh only ran it fifteen times, and when Pittsburgh, you know, who falls with Matt Canada, who was who was a horrendous. Uh, uh, play caller, you know, the Steelers, Steelers got, they drafted Najee Harris in the first round out, out of that essentially all-star team that was the 2020 Alabama Crimson Tide last year. They drafted him with their first overall pick back in the springtime, and he only gets eight touches for 23 yards and abandoned the run way, way, way too quickly uh, in the in the game on Sunday afternoon. And Ben Roethlisberger, who's old, washed up, crippled and and whose better quarterback days have passed them by threw the ball 41 times was 24 41 threw two picks got sacked three times only threw one meaningless touchdown pass to Fryermuth, which uh which was the Steelers lone touchdown that came later on in the fourth quarter so but give the Bengals phenomenal credit they held Pittsburgh scoreless in the second and third quarter uh, the closest the game got was ten was ten three after the first quarter was over and done with, and then the Cincinnati Bengals offense turned it on to put up twenty one points in the second quarter going into the halftime with a thirty with a thirty one to three lead. A phenomenal job by the Bengals uh, coaching staff defense with Lou Anarumo and offensively with uh, Taylor and Callahan. Uh, Joe Burrow was a, a you know I understand he's a you know he's still young. Still has many a room for improvement. Uh, I bad throw on a Minka Fitzpatrick interception, but I understand what he's trying to do. Anticipated the pass rush, didn't want to get sa- didn't want to get sacked. Got the just wanted just to get the ball out of his hands as you know as fast as he possibly could, and uh, ended up and 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 it ended up going into the arms and the hands of Minka Fitzpatrick, which 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 ended up being a benefit to Cincinnati anyway because the Mike Hilton interception ended up coming literally a play later, and it gave uh, and it gave uh, Pittsburgh a longer field to work with, essentially working uh, as an arm punt. Uh, in essence, uh, but if you look at the ba- Bengals, got twenty five first downs. Uh, twenty five first downs. They were one of one on fourth down in the game. They racked up three hundred and seventy yards of total offense. 
they uh, let's see. They get they racked up. They only had three penalties in a game. Bengals are one of the least penalized teams in the sport. So you know you never have that issue with them getting penalized that infinitum. And they dominated Pittsburgh in time of possession, thirty-five twenty to Pittsburgh's twenty-four forty. So just one of the best one of the best games I've ever seen the Bengals play within the last few years or so. Uh, and this is a close second. You can make the argument it was a, it was a better performance than the Raven game. I don't think so just because of how much it meant to go into Baltimore, a team that they had not been in such a long time. You know, granted, they still have a lot of ground to catch up historically as far as the season series with Pittsburgh is concerned. But it wasn't like that they hadn't beaten Pittsburgh in forever. They beat them. They beat them in their own building on a classic upset last year. And they beat them in Pittsburgh back in week three. Prior to uh, prior to the October twenty fourth game in Baltimore, the Ravens had beaten, or excuse me, the Bengals had beaten the Ravens in Baltimore since New Year's Eve of twenty seventeen, and had beaten the Ravens period since Week Two of twenty eighteen with AJ Green's three three first half touchdown performance on Thursday Night Football. But the the hundred and fifth meeting between the two squads, but the first time that was, but it was also the first time in which the Bengals had scored thirty points by. By halftime, the previous high was 27, and the Bengals' 28-point halftime lead was their largest ever against Pittsburgh. Their previous high was 24. Burrow's 10th touchdown pass of over 30 yards to T. Higgins for yeah, it was a 32-yard, uh, absolutely phenomenal catch by Higgins in the end zone. Uh, 10, 10 that Joe Burrow has thrown 10 touchdown passes of 30 yards or more. That's the most in his first 11 games of a of a season for a quarterback. 24 years of age or younger, Joe Burrow turns 25 on December the 10th uh, since, and he did, and he joins the company with Johnny Unitas, who did it uh, back in 1957. But the Bengals, they're cruising right now, uh, and like I said, largest lead the Bengals have ever had against the Steelers in the history of the rivalry. But you know the Bengals have played absolutely phenomenal football. Defense it looks like it's back to that uh, top ten form again. It fell off. It fell off in the Brown game. Uh, definitely was absolutely abysmal against the Jets. It looks like it's it's made its return for now. Uh, you know, knock on wood. Let's see if they can keep it up again. I'm not going to say they're going to make the playoffs. I'm not going to say that they're going to win a division. And anything further than that, I, you know, I'd be a fool to say, oh, we're going this, we're doing this. One step at a time, one game at a time, one milestone at a time. Right now, the Bengals are 7-4, and 3-2 and two at home, and they're 3-1 and one inside the AFC, against AFC North uh, division opponents in 2021 this season. Three and one, and that's and that and a half game out of first place, and that's what counts, and that's all that matters in the end. The only sole loss was the blowout loss to Cleveland a few weeks ago. They've swept Pittsburgh and they beat Baltimore, uh, and they beat Baltimore back in October, and are riding a, a three-game win streak against the Pittsburgh Steelers since December of 2020. That's what matters, as Bill Belichick would say. On to Los Angeles. See, so if you're expecting, uh, you know, me to go crazy, uh, Bengals going to the Super Bowl, Bengals going to make the playoffs, we're the best team in football, we're winning the division. Not going to do that. A, it's too a, it's too early. A lot of seasons still left, and 
with all due respect, the Steelers stink. They, they, they stink. I got Claypool talking crap, you know, late in the fourth quarter when his when his team's getting his doors blown off. It's forty-one-three, and he's talking crap because he because he caught a nice little catch down, you know, by the sideline on a third and long. Talking about we need to play music at practice and all this other gooberish nonsense. I got T.J. Watt trying to you know, trying to you know being petty, trying to uh, quote unquote block Joe Burrow on the Minka interception when Joe Burrow was about like fifty yards away from the play, who didn't even who didn't even make an effort to tackle Minka because the play was so far away from him. And I and I also got a quarterback, you know, who's uh, who's decomposing by the day, whose play has hit the abs, whose play has hit the wall, whose career has hit the wall, whose arm strength and arm and accuracy is is in the toilet, who you know should have retired after the two thousand and nineteen season. To be quite honest with you, who stinks. With a with a coach who's past his expiration date, who who's not, who in my opinion, if I was running the team, shouldn't be too far shouldn't be too far from getting the pink slip at at the season's end himself. But anyway, we're on to Los Angeles. Game should be on Sunday Night Football, but we're on to Los Angeles. Back right after this. This is the I'm telling the TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelic TIS podcast. By the way, two quick notes: uh, the tie a bow on the Steelers and Bengals game. Uh, just and this is and this point is about is about Pittsburgh more than it is Cincinnati. In the last three games, the Steelers uh, defense has uh, given up five hundred and eighty-six. Com- in their last three games, Lions, Chargers, Bengals have given up a combined five hundred and eighty-six. Rushing yards and their opponents, Lions, Chargers, and Bengals combined have ran for eight touchdowns. Eight. Lions average about six yards a carry and they in their tie. Chargers average six a, a six point one yards to be exact a carry in their game in week eleven. And on Sunday against the Bengals, they averaged Five, a little less than five and a half yards to carry. So the Steelers' defense has uh, has uh, fallen mightily as well, along with the fact that the Steelers' offense is absolutely inept uh, once again. Uh, and real quick on Cincinnati, you know this is this little stretch that they've been on. Uh, they have scored. I don't know if you guys have known this. But in the last one, two, three, four, five, 
six games, in the last six games, do you realize that the Bengals have scored 30 or more points five out of their last six games? Last time the Bengals scored less than 30, you don't have to go back that far, the 41-16 loss to Cleveland. The last time the Bengals won a game and didn't score 30 points, you have to go all the way back to September 30th when they beat Jacksonville on Thursday night when they won that game thanks to Evan McPherson field goal, 24-21. That's the last time the Bengals have won a game scoring less than 30 points. But five out of the last six that they've played, they've scored 30 points or more. Even the Jet game, they ended up scoring 31 points. Five out of the last six, they've scored 30 po- They've scored 31 points or more. And, and the stretch began in the Detroit game. They scored 34 in the Lion game, 41 against, uh, against Baltimore, 31 in a loss against the Jets, 16 against Cleveland. That's the one outlier. 32 against Vegas, 41 against Pittsburgh. And their remaining schedule, and, and they got a lot of home games. To they only go out. They only go on the road twice the rest of the season. Uh, December nineteenth against Denver, and to close out the season, they don't even leave the state. They go up to Cleveland on January the ninth. They only play one road game in the month of this. They only play one road game in the month of December, and that's uh, and that's against Denver. But they're home against the Chargers, home against San Francisco, home against Baltimore, home against Kansas City, and then close out the season on the road against Cleveland. The easiest game, if you want to call it that on paper, the, e- the easiest game they have they have on paper is is uh, is Denver. Second easiest, de- depending on what happens with Cleveland the rest of the way, is the Cleveland game, the last game of the season. But Kansas Kansas City Kansas City Kansas City and Baltimore. And 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 the charges this Sunday, for that matter, will not be cakewalks. And San Francisco will give them a difficult will give them a difficult time as well. I will imagine. But uh, sticking with the AFC North, but moving on from the Steelers and uh, and Bengals game, we will turn our attention to the other AFC North matchup of Week Twelve on Sunday, and that was the Sunday Night Football game of the week between the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens uh, down at the bank uh, in my uh, good old hometown on Sunday night. The Ravens won their uh, first matchup of the of the 2021 season against Cleveland, and only their second divisional game of their uh, of the 2021 slate. Their first, of course, the uh, their matchup against Cincinnati back in October, beating Cleveland by a final score of 16 to 10. Uh, the Ravens have only played have only played, and this is where you know if you want to. Be that I'm not going to do that because I know how this team is and one step at a time. But if you were going to sit up there and say, well, Cincinnati has the advantage. It can do this, 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 and this because of and you And one of the reasons on top of the roster and also the intangible aspect of it is because Cincinnati, you know, they only have two divisional games left on their season schedule. Home against the Ravens. 
and at Cleveland to close out the season. They've already played. Baltimore has yet. Now, I understand that they play them this weekend, but Cincinnati's done with Pittsburgh until 2022. They're done with Pittsburgh. They played the Ravens already in mid-October, and they only and they only and they already have uh, one of their two games out the way. Now they got destroyed in the game, obviously, but they only but they have one of their two games uh, out of the way against Cleveland. Meanwhile, Baltimore is one is one and one in the division. Only having played two and two out of and and those two uh, in division matchups have been home games, home against Cleveland, home against Cincinnati. They still have they still have to go to they still have to go to Cincinnati. They have to go to Cleveland, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I and I mentioned this a bunch of times, especially when the schedule came out back in the uh, spring. The Pittsburgh game is smack dab is smack dab in between. Uh, their matchups against Cleveland. They, they their Cleveland game was the was of course uh, Sunday night of Thanksgiving weekend. They go to Pittsburgh. They and then it, they, they their first matchup against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh is jam, is a is is jammed right in between uh, the other Cleveland game in which they go to Cleveland on December December the twelfth, and then they get uh, and then they get two and then they get two. Uh, out of uh, out of division and out of conference games with Green Bay and the Rams in their building, and but then they also have to go on the road to play Cincinnati and they close out the season at home against Pittsburgh. So the rest of the season, uh, so so and you and I could have said this and you could have said this after the Bear game. The rest of the season outside of outside of the Packer game and the Ram game, the rest of their season is all against AFC North opponents. Outside of the Packer and Ram games, uh, in in mid in uh, mid uh, well, the Packer game is in mid December and the Ram game is in early January. But outside of those two uh, anomalies, there's only two. They, the rest of the Ravens' schedule uh, is against inner is against in division uh, opponents, with one of them being out the way with Cleveland, and they got to go on. They got to go on the road to play Pittsburgh. They their their last and their only home division game left. Is a, is is their final game of the regular season against Pittsburgh on January 9th. They got to go to Cleveland to play Cleveland, go to Pittsburgh to play Pittsburgh, which they will come Sunday, and go to Cincinnati to play the Bengals the day after Christmas on the 26th. Um, so the Ravens have a still have uh, they still got a a good they play six six uh, division games uh, per team. The Ravens have only played two of them. The Raven, or excuse me, the Bang, the Ra- Yes, the Ravens have only played two of them. They got four left. Uh, and then you look at Cleveland. Just you know, we're talking about the AFC North here. Uh, the best division of football, bar none. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. AFC North is the best division of football. If you think not, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, meanwhile, with Cleveland. You know, they're only outlaw they're only games the rest of the way outside of the division. And you and you could have said this after the Detroit game, their schedule kinda works in a similar fashion too. They're only two games out of the division the rest of the way are home against Vegas and at Green Bay on Christmas Day. Outside of that, they gotta go to Pittsburgh on Monday night, January the third. They're home against my Bengals to close out the season, and they host Baltimore 
on December the 12th. Uh, and that is after their bye week, which is, uh, which is this week. Uh, uh, the I banged the Browns team getting a much-needed bye uh, coming up this weekend. But going back to the game, Ravens took care of business 16 to 10. Listen, Lamar Jackson uh, was was not bad. He was horrendous in the game. I'm not going to bullcrap you. I'm not, I'm not going to dance around the issue. He was bad. And he knew he was bad, took accountability for it after the game in the NBC interview. And, and when he spoke to me and after the game, he raised his hand. He was like, hey. I'm. I was bad in the game. I got to do better than that. We won. It was great. But we. But in order for us to go places, I got to play better than that. And me throwing four interceptions, three out of the four in the first half, is is not is not championship. It's not championship football. He was. He had twelve incompletions in a game. Threw for a buck sixty five. Got sacked twice and didn't have a phenomenal night by Lamar standards running the football 17 carries for 68 yards uh, on the ground. But, you know, but again, as as bad as Lamar, as, as bad of a game that Lamar Jackson had, he made two, th- he made two throws that were the plays of the game for the rate for the Ravens on, on Sunday night. It was first off them was the big play to Andrews when which Andrews came in running from the middle of the field with his left arm pinned behind, pinned behind his back. That was a, you know, it was a clear and obvious, uh, pass interference penalty, which, which, uh, which was called, but with, his left arm pinned behind his back Mark Andrews comes in sliding from the other side from the uh, comes in running and then goes into a slide from the other side of the field and catches and cradles a Lamar Jackson pass in which he had to run like a chicken with his head cut off from the uh, from the Browns defensive front that put the Ravens in excellent uh, field position and then a couple of plays and then a couple of plays later <laughs> what is Lamar Jackson I mean uh, Kevin Harlan didn't call him Houdini a few couple of seasons ago you know for for the sake of for the sake of calling him Houdini he you know he he ran all over the place poor uh poor uh Jadavion Clowney who must have been cursing underneath his breath about 15 million times on Sunday night that that was probably punching air and 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 kicking himself you know, in the shower after the game, on the bus ride to BWI, and on the charter flight back back to Cleveland in the wee hours of uh, Monday morning, was probably punching the air and kicking himself about how many opportunities he had Lamar Jackson for the taking in the open field, and for whatever the reason, Jadavion Clowney could not bring him down, and Lamar Jackson kept the play, kept the play alive, and 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 none of them will stick out more in Jadavion Clowney's mind, whether when he went to sleep that night on Sunday night or th- or throughout this bye week that Cleveland is currently on on a third and 10 at Cleveland's 13 with a 948 in the third quarter when Lamar Jackson ran around and it seems like he ran about 30 yards in a time it took him th- to find Andrews wide open in the middle of the end zone running from Jadavion Clowney to find Mark Andrews for the for the Ravens loan 
uh, touchdown in the game, which put the which put the Ravens in front. Uh, which put the Ravens out in front 13-10 and extending their lead uh, by 10 points. But, I mean, even when Lamar Jackson has a bad game, and, I mean, and not bad, horrendous game, even when he has a horrendous game, he's, he still makes plays with his arm and his legs, you know, all in one. That that makes it, if, the, if your defense makes you scratch your head or if you're a clowny punching the air or, or chucking your helmet uh, down to the ground in frustration, he still finds a way to make plays that that makes you say holy crap how in the hell did he just do that which is just goes into just the genius and just the absolute phenomenal talent that Lamar Jackson is as a player even and 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 to tell you the truth that's that when you when you have a great player in sports whether it's at the quarterback position wide receiver running back whatever it is if you if you're really looking at a at a at a transcendent generational talent in sports, that's when you know that that player is going to if they're young in their career, if they're going to be something special, is even when they have a bad game, they still have a moment slash a play or two or three that makes you go, holy crap, this kid or this player, this guy, this woman, this gal, whatever, is something special. And Lamar Jackson had those moments many a time in the game on Sunday night. Uh, 46 consecutive games with a passing touchdown or a rushing touchdown. That's the fourth in NFL history in his fourth season. And since 2015... Prior to the prior to the Ravens on Sunday night, only one team had won a game when when the when the when their starting quarterback threw four or more interceptions in the game. Only one, well, well, only one within the last ten years or so. A team had been zero and fifty-two prior to Sunday night. Oh, for fifty-two, zero wins, fifty-two losses prior to Sunday night. With NFL teams in which their starting quarterback threw th- through four more interceptions in a game in a regular season and or postseason game since 2015. The last win in league history in which the starting quarterback threw four more interceptions, you have to go all the way back to the classic 2014 NFC Championship game in which Russell Wilson had a had one of the worst first halves I've ever I've ever seen him have in his NFL career back in that first half of the 2014 NFC Championship game against Green Bay and and they and they erased a double digit deficit against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers forced overtime and came all the way back uh, with a with in part with a uh, Russell Wilson to Jermaine Curse uh, throw and catch to uh, to put the uh, finishing touches on the comeback, win the game in overtime and repeat as NFC conference champions and clinch back-to-back uh, Super Bowl bursts, sending Seattle to Super Bowl uh, forty-nine. But the but the Browns, you know, uh, with them, I mean, it's just. Oh boy, uh, Baker Mayfield. I mean, I, you know, the old Bill Parcells line. You know, if you're playing, if you're hurt, quote unquote, if you're hurt and you're playing, I don't want to hear any excuse that you being injured. If you're that hurt, don't play. You know, so you know, not meant to make excuses, not to make excuses for him because excuses serve no purpose. But let's be, but let's be honest with Baker Mayfield. Fourth season in, he's two for eight. When trailing, when trailing, and his team needs a touchdown to tie the game or take the lead after getting a possession within the final three minutes of a fourth quarter or an overtime period, he's two of eight. 
was 2 of 7 heading into Sunday night. He's now 2 of 8. I understand he's injured. I get that. But, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, when you face a little bit of, of adversity and when you're playing a little banged up, sometimes you got to have to suck it up and, and, and dig deep and find, and find that, and find that, and find that inner Michael Jordan in you, so to speak. And, 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 and just say, gosh darn it, with your back pinned up, pinned up against the wall, find a way to uh, to bring your team home, drive them down the field, and put them in a situation, either just you know set them up for a score or put them on the end zone so your team can win can win games. And that was a much needed game that Cleveland uh, had to have against Baltimore on Sunday night. And Baker Mayfield didn't bring them home. Now, now, down during that final drive, it wasn't necessarily all his fault. You know, Jarvis Landry, if he catches that ball, it's you know, it's first and ten. Cleveland, they keep they uh, they keep it they keep it moving, and and the Baltimore's and the Baltimore crowd starts getting a little bit more anxious, and you know, and you know, the, we saw the Baltimore defense collapse you know, against Andy Dalton in the Bear game. You know what makes me, and, and we saw and we saw him collapse against the against the Raiders first week of the season. What makes me think? We and we saw we also saw him do it in the Dolphin game uh, prior to the, prior to the Bear game. So what makes me think that they that that uh, that they weren't also that they weren't going to uh, choke 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 on their own spit this time? But you know we'll never find we'll never have the answer to that because Jarvis Landry dropped the pass that he had to had to catch him square in his hands down the left sideline, which would have which would have kept the ball moving for Cleveland and giving him a fir- and giving him a first down uh, during that final drive of the game. And then the next play later, Austin Hooper drops the pass to uh, to set Cleveland up on a th- you know on a third and ten. And then, and then I also thought in the sequence of that game, you know, the Ravens once again falling in love with this all-out blitz play, which, in my opinion, they run way, way, way too much, and uh, in in tense, high-pressure situations, for my liking, especially when a team, uh, you know, needs to, when a team's quarterback needs to make a play with their arm, especially deep downfield, to keep themselves alive or or to win the game. But you know the all the all out blitz, uh, you know, came back to bite him. And again, I said it, you know, ad infinitum uh, in the aforementioned uh, uh, Bear game and the aforementioned Raider game. Sent out the all out blitz again with Wink Martindale. It worked to perfection that time. Baker Mayfield forced Baker Mayfield to throw the ball earlier than he wanted to. Threw his way essentially out of a sack and had no choice but to dump the ball off to David Njoku, who got tackled well short of the line of the game. And it's a goodbye, goodnight, and the see you in two weeks, Cleveland, as the Ravens improve themselves to, to eight and three on the season, five and one at MT Bank Stadium. They remain in first place in the AFC North. They remain the number one seed for now in the AFC. Uh, if they if had they had the Ravens lost that game on Sunday night, they would have fallen back into second place. With a seven and with a seven and four record, and the Bengals would have moved up in the first. Of course, with the Bengals having the tiebreaker over the Ravens, and I believe I'm not well, not I, not a, not I don't believe I know for a fact that the Patriots would have been the number one seed at the end of Sunday night in the AFC had the Browns pulled off the comeback against uh, Baltimore and the Ravens. You know they're five and one at home this year. Their only lone loss against my Cincinnati Bengals on October the 24th, so keep that in mind uh, as well. 
Uh, under John Harbaugh, the Ravens have now beaten the Browns 23 times. That's tied for the most victories by one team over another since the start of the 2008 season. The Patriots have beaten the Jets 23 times in that span. Harbaugh is 23 and 4 against the Browns, resulting in a 85 in a 852 uh, winning percentage. Uh, gave you the stat with Lamarney interceptions. Uh, okay, and that is, uh, I thought I had more stats on that game, but I guess I do not. Uh, but anyway, that is where you stand as far as the Browns and Ravens game that took place on Sunday night. We will get to urinating trade to recap week 12 of the National Football League and get his two cents on the, you know, on the whole Blackhawks scandal from 2020, from 2010 that uh, made its way to the uh, top headlines in the month of November. Uh, give, you know, and I, w and I will take my victory lap uh, for my Bengals winning three in a row against the Pittsburgh Steelers in less than a 12-month span, sweeping the season series for the first time since 2009 against his beloved Black and Gold Brigade. Urinating Tree is next. You're listening to the Amateur Lecatelius Podcast. Don't go anywhere. Back in the flash. Welcome back to the Amatelic TIS podcast. Joining me now is YouTuber extraordinaire, co-host of the Dumpster Fire, co-host of uh, what the uh, clickbait sports with, uh, with uh, five points vids and the fellas, uh, and uh, creator of his own YouTube channel, YouTuber extraordinaire. You can follow him on Twitter at Urinating Tree. Please welcome great friend and uh, living legend. Pittsburgh's finest and greatest, because we all know that isn't their uh, football team. That's for damn sure. <laughs> and <laughs> the great urinating tree. <laughs> uh, I, you are going to dunk on me all game and all day. It's uh, talk your shit. Just talk it. <laughs> it's well, uh, where, uh, where, where do I begin? I mean, do I begin with the fact that Better Roethlisberger is cooked? He is dead. He is finished. Oh, hey, he is hey, washed hey, hey, up. Hey, hey, hey. Don't say that to Pittsburgh. They still think he's the best answer to this team's playoff hopes, which are uh, – no. Honestly, oh. I don't think Mason's as bad as people suggest. I don't think he's as much of a downgrade as Ben is. But this is what happens when you tie your horse to a 39-year-old quarterback who looked really bad at the final stretch of the season last year. So – you, you know what was best to to describe Ben Roxford at this point in his career? And my sister, who watched the game with me on Sunday, said it. I, it made me laugh when she said it last night. We were talking about it before the Seahawks and the Washington game. She said, watching Ben Roethlisberger play quarterback, is, is he's like a potato on a stick behind center. <laughs> he he just – he doesn't move. He doesn't move. And, the, you know, his arm motion when he throws the football like it looks like he's in pain. Like, well, he is injured. He has he has issues with the shoulder, his pec, and his hip. He's been visibly injured all year. He should technically be on IR, but I mean, it's it's rough. I think he retires after this year just because, like, I think his body's breaking down on him. He has to retire after this year just so he can walk out with some sense of dignity. Because let's not get it twisted, he is one of the greatest quarterbacks of my generation. He mm -hmm. is one of the – he's up there with Bradshaw as one of the greatest quarterbacks the Steelers have ever had in their franchise. Oh, yeah, easily, easily. He's, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Nobody's denying that. But – Oh, no. The, but the Ben Rock – but the 
quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, that's going to be inducted into Canton five years after he retires is not the Ben Roethlisberger that we've seen in 2019, 20, and now now so far in 2021. You're going to argue. Yeah, you can argue 18 was when he started his downfall. They talk about the stats. He, they just they never threw the ball. And there were a lot of issues then, too. And then, like, the end of 2020, I thought he should have retired after last year, but he wanted to come back, and the Steelers are okay bringing him back. And this is unfortunately what happens. Your offense has been really bad. Your offensive line has huge issues. Your wide receiver core is either, like, underperforming besides Deontay Johnson or dealing with injuries. Najee Harris, like, he's been good. Problem is, like, he can't get much traction because there's no line to block for him, which was my biggest complaint when we drafted him. And when you have guys like a third-round pick, Kendrick Green, who's having trouble snapping the ball and getting manhandled because his technique is really poor and needs improvement, and Dan Moore, who is not a blindside blocker right now, he could be one in the future, but he's getting dominated by edge rushers. But it's just like... It, it's it, they kind of got arrogant and kind of like cheap at the same time. And this is unfortunately what happens. They got lucky in a lot of their wins. Like Chicago is because of refs. Denver and Seattle shouldn't have even been as close as they were. They, they should have put them away a while ago. Um, Cleveland was, I mean, they self-destructed because Jarvis Landry couldn't hold on to the ball. If Jarvis Landry hangs on to the, to a football. They win because we didn't have our kicker. And then, well, Buffalo, their offense fell apart. decided to go for a fake field goal. Yeah, that was, I mean, they nearly took out Boswell. Boswell's one of our most reliable offensive weapons right now. Um, But we we will save the Bengals and Steelers talk for later on in the segment. Let's get get the the low-hanging fruit out the way early and beginning with the Thanksgiving games. You know, I don't know how you feel about it. And I typically side on the element of tradition, which is one of the reasons why I can't stand the 17-game schedule, why I thought the NFL putting a playoff game on Monday night is asinine. So I kind of fall on that traditionalist line when when it comes to sports especially. But I'm getting sick and tired of watching the the Detroit Lions play on Thanksgiving. (laughs) We all are, man. I I am so sick and tired of it. They're boring. They are uninspiring. They are lethargic. It's just, why are we beating a dead horse every single time? And I said this last week, and I'll say it to you. I don't know. You know, you know feel free to agree or disagree. But, you know, my opinion is, is that if the if Roger Goodell or somebody in the league office picks up the phone and calls the Ford family and say, hey, guys, if you all don't produce a winning product within the next, give them three, give them four years, if come 2025, you guys are not in the playoffs or at least finish with a plus 500 record, we're going to take the Thanksgiving game away from you and we'll give it to somebody else. And I can't, and part of me is convinced, a lot of me is convinced that if the NFL threatens to take that Thanksgiving day game away from them, that maybe the maybe the lines will be like, oh, holy crap, we, we got to protect the one thing. That, that you know, one thing that we have, and that's our precious Thanksgiving game, and the whole fest. You know, people on social media were telling me all last week how the Lions Thanksgiving game is like is Detroit Super Bowl in essence. So we got to make sure we protect. I guarantee, if the NFL does that and threats to take that away from you, I'm convinced. Seventy five percent of me is convinced that maybe Detroit will start getting a little bit more, uh, becoming a little bit more expeditious. In their uh, in their uh, plight to producing a successful uh, 
uh, product for the football field. But me personally, I'm sick and tired of watching them on Thanksgiving. I'm just get get, get Detroit out of it. I don't care about your day. And also, don't think I'm sick and tired of too. The Detroit Lions Chicago Bears Thanksgiving Day matchup has run it has ran its course. I understand that they've played a bunch of times in Thanksgiving and NFL history. I understand all that. But with the NFL, with the NFL 100 season coming on and everything else, and the Bears stink and the Lions are winless. History out the door with these two franchises. I'm, I'm over Bears and Lions toward the historical significance of those two teams playing each other, especially on Thanksgiving. What are your thoughts? My argument is this. I'm going to counter with one thing. Detroit is terrible football. Detroit versus Chicago was a terrible game to watch. It was boring for the most part. And Detroit kind of shot themselves in the foot because they can't manage a game clock. That's why they had it. But I'm going to show you a number why they're not going to do what you suggested about them, like threatening to like build a better team. The Foxes early game averaged 26.75 million viewers, a 14% improvement over the same broadcast window in 2020. They could put like garbage out there and you're still going to get 25 million people watching on Thanksgiving. That's why they're not. The NFL doesn't care about the product. The NFL cares about ratings and money. That's all they care about. And that's why, once again, if 26.75 million people are watching terrible football just for an excuse to get away from their family, they'll watch anything. So that's why I'll counter there. The Raiders, like um, Cowboys game, for as much as a uh, ref ball like shit fest that was, it's 37.8 million people. So it was the biggest like TV broadcast in almost 30 years since yeah. Cowboys Dolphins to 93. That's so 28-year high, absolutely. Yeah, so like just... football, like the NFL is running their product really poorly, but we're still watching. So that's all that needs to be said. But, uh, you know, because I the reason why I brought that scenario up is because you feel like, at least from my perspective, you feel like that the Lions are like, hey, why do we have to go out of our way to put on a, to put on a competitive product every single year? We are the only team in this sport that can be bad from year in, year out basis, but get at least one guaranteed pride. Now, now, now it's not going to be, you know, 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night. But one guaranteed nationally televised game that 20 plus million people go to watch every single year. Will you know? Will we? If we if we're bad, will we give up the fact we won't be shown on Sunday night? Fine. We will we will we be shown on Monday night a lot if we're bad? Uh, probably not. But if but as long as we get Thanksgiving every single year, that's all. That's all the uh, the Ford family and the Lions care about, and that's why I said they should. The NFL, if again, like you said, if they're serious about putting a competitive product on the field, pick up the phone and say, "Hey, hey, Ford family, whatever the name of uh, of uh, the ninety-year-old uh, woman that owns the Lions, pick up the phone and say, hey, you guys don't have a winning record within five years. We're taking Thanksgiving off, and I and I tell you, here's a hint to give to you're taking away from Detroit, and you give to Green Bay. Mm-hmm. That 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 would that would really motivate them. Get, give it, give it." We'll take that game away from you, and we'll give it to the Green Bay Packers. We'll, we'll move from Detroit to Green Bay. They're play. not going to do that, though. That'd be nice to have a Thanksgiving game at Lambeau, but it will have to be a night game because those are the ones that will randomly, like, bring in different teams for that. Like, say, I know, like, uh, Jets New England was one of them a while ago, you know, bunch fumble game. Um, you know, Buffalo New Orleans, I, I forget what it was last year, but I know, like, they like to do three. 
Steelers Ravens game was supposed to be the night game last year. Oh yeah, right. And then it became Wednesday night football, and it was that was a that was a terrible game. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that was supposed to be the game last year, and then in 2019 it was uh, Saints and Falcons, and then the year before that it was Saints and Falcons. Anyway. Um, but here, here's another alternative. Here's what you, if you are hell-bent on keeping the Lions on, on Thanksgiving, here's what you do. You make sure that, and I have no problems with the Cowboys on Thanksgiving because, A, they're oh, yeah. fairly competitive every single year. They're a polarizing team, unlike the Lions. They're right? a draw. Right. You either love them or you hate them. And they're one of the NFL staple franchises that mm-hmm. goes, that, that's bigger than the city that they play in. And then there's only a handful of teams that are like that: the Cowboys, the Steelers, uh, and the uh, and the and the Patriots slash whatever team Tom Brady's on, so to speak. So there's only a few teams for the NFL that are that are bigger than the city that they play in. But my suggestion would be make sure that it, you know, make sure that every single game you have a, either a playoff team from last year or you have a team that is anticipated to make the playoffs heading to the previous season. A la the a la the Chargers, a la the uh a la the Chargers, a la the uh the uh the shoot the uh I'm trying to think of an NFC team the, that didn't make the playoffs last year. Uh, Vikings. Well yeah Vikings uh 49ers you know, mm-hmm. teams like that, and get, you know, and get them into the mix so you're looking at competitive football on Thanksgiving night. And here's what I would do, and I think this is this would be a brilliant idea. Not only does Super Bowl champion get to play the kickoff game on the, th- on the first Thursday night of September to begin the new season, the second Thursday night of September, whatever it is, but furthermore, they also get to host a home game Thanksgiving night. Mm-hmm. And, and you and you and the league pairs them up with like the, the best uh, you know whoever finished with the uh, with the second best record uh, that they play in that season schedule for the previous season or they have a rematch of, of a conference championship game and something like that to make Thanksgiving football a little bit better. But Bears Lions and and the New Orleans Saints with Trevor Simeon is not the answer. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Well, you have to remember, New Orleans was playing last year. New Orleans would be a good team if they weren't battered by injuries. That's the problem there, because, like, you would have had Jameis Winston. He's out. You have no Michael Thomas. You have no Alvin Kamara. You have no Andres Pete. You have no Teron Armstead or Ryan Ramchick, and you have no Will Lutz. So there goes your offense. It would have been a much closer game if you have those weapons. 100%. Uh, but then how about the Cowboys-Dallas game? You know, I don't know how you feel about Dak Prescott, but, you know, Dak Prescott, who I think gets a little overrated because of the fact he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I screamed and yelled about this on Thursday about I don't know how you feel and uh, and no uh, ill will or no uh, malice or Ill, Ill will against them, but – Part of, I don't know how you feel. Part of it makes it seem like that that uh, that the media makes it out to be that Dak Prescott's the first ever NFL quarterback to come back from a from a broken ankle. I mean the way I mean you you'd have sworn that he was uh, that he was leading the charge at the Battle of Normandy in World War II, 
or he was <laughs> or he was back in biblical days at the Battle of Armageddon. I mean, and, and God bless him. I mean, brother committing suicide, that's a very hard yeah, it's very tough. and a very killing injury to recover back from. But to be fair, and in all objectivity, he's not the first, nor will he be the last to recover from it. So I feel like he gets a little overrated because of the fact he's a Dallas Cowboy. There were plenty of throws in that game on Thursday night that he had an opportunity to complete, and he did not. And, and again, I say it every single time with the Dallas Cowboys. He's thrown the ball 30, 40 times a game. Same thing with the Steelers, except for the fact that the Cowboys have a little bit better offensive line, and their offense is more inclined when – they're more, they are better off when they essentially run the ball with Zeke, uh, you know, than the Steelers with the ball at Ben Sands 24 7. But when you throw the ball 47 times, I understand that I guess Zeke's banged up, but I mean, Tony, Tony Pollard only got 10 carries, 36 yards, and Dak Prescott threw the football 47 times. That's not a championship recipe for disaster. For excuse me, that's not a championship uh, football recipe. I mean, mix it up a little bit. Coming way too predictable, and how about the and how about the Cowboy defense, which uh, you know, which uh, was I against Kansas City, but you got to do a little bit better than the Raiders, who you know too many penalties, flags, flags. Anthony Brown four pass interference penalties. Some of them were a little iffy, but for the most part, it's like that's a discipline issue. Twenty eight penalties. I think there was something like two hundred ninety three penalty yards by both teams. Like that was a very sloppy game. But just because of all the penalties and all that, just like yeah, BS. It was a, and I taste, and I'll, and I'll tell you something else 276 penalty yards come out. There were more oh, penalty yeah. yards in this game than there was in total offense. I believe it was the, either the Bears and the Lions combined or what the Bears had. Total combined yards with that game in comparison to the Raiders and Cowboys game. Let me take a look. And I don't know how you felt about it, but that was, and I've been a diehard football fan for the last 15 years or so. That was, that was possibly the outside of the Super Bowl, which feels long. That's only because of the events. Uh, the Super Bowl is, is more or less an event than it is a regular old football game. But outside of the Super Bowl, that feels like one of the longest football games I've ever watched. That game started at four thirty. It didn't end till about, and that and it didn't end till about two, well after the uh, the Bills and Saints game had already been solved. Sunday night football had to delay because of it. It was it was just uh, it, between the between the ref ball that was involved and uh, and and the fact that it went into overtime. It's just uh, every every five seconds we gotta call we gotta call a penalty. I mean, yeah, it's like yellow flags. MVP, I said Sean Hockley and his crew, they were making those flags fly, man. Some were justified and some were bullshit. That roughing the passer call, like, what do you want Micah Parsons to do? He's sliding down to the ground and it's incidental contact with the helmet. There's there's nothing you can do about it. Like, do we? I mean, I understand about player safety and everything else, but. There's a reason why these guys still have to wear helmets. You know, there, there's a reason why they they still you know, we they still gotta wear these because of the fact that and that there's going to be incidental contact playing a, at, at times playing a full contact sport. You know, why, why don't we just take why don't we take the shoulder pad? Why don't we slip down the shoulder pads? Take off the help, get rid of the helmets, and have these you know have them show off their hair, whatever, and and we'll play flag football. 
but I mean, as, as you call it, the ref, you know, I got the ref ball term from you. You're the originator of it. The ref ball that has taken place all NFL season long. Between the Raiders and Cowboys game on Thanksgiving, the Bears and Steelers game that took place a couple weeks before that, where where a player literally glances glances at the mm-hmm. Steelers bench, gets hit checked oh, yeah. by Tony Carretti, that moron who should who should be out of a job, by the way. I mean, they won't. We get, we, we get tossed. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, that changed the game because like. <laughs> The Bears would have won that game if it weren't for a few of those penalties. It wasn't just that. It was the chop block that wasn't really a chop block and was legal because it was in the uh, line of, like, the quarterback pocket. You oh, also had a couple rough – you had a couple, like, like helmet hits but... that weren't even called. You have some really bad pass interference, which was more 50-50 than, like, defensive pass interference. So, like, Chicago really got screwed in that game. Like, the Steelers should be 4-6-1. and one, The Bears should be 5-6. and six. <laughs> Just pute, and then the roughing the passer, where just mm. tackling a guy, or oh, not even or, that, just just pushing, pushing, dude. There were a couple that were just pushed, and they're still getting called. But no way, you can't put weight on the quarterback. Even though, if you look up William Hayes, a couple years ago, he tried to like evade the quarterback and fall. He landed awkwardly towards ACL. He's never played in the NFL since. So that rule has ruined more careers than it saved. Exactly. And I take and the NFL needs to wait. Hopefully, we'll get some. We'll get some decency when, and get some real common sense once once Goodell is out of there shortly. Because uh, although this league is flying high, it won't be for long at this rate. Because because uh, eventually the chicken's going to come home to roost, and the NFL's product is going to suffer. Uh, at, you know, is going to suffer as as a result of the seeds that they're sowing right now. From the ref ball that's taking place with these pat with these rough of the passer penalties, the ticky tacky pass interference, this taunting foolishness. You know, Clyde Edwards Alaire scores a touchdown, points at a guy, and he gets flagged for uh, for taunting, and he get and he gets a uh, multi thousand dollar fine in the mail a couple of days later. I mean, I don't know, really. Or to, I mean, it's. I'm telling you, if they don't check themselves, they will self-destruct and they will kill their own product. Like you wouldn't believe if they if they don't check themselves. Oh, mm-hmm. um, so watch. But I mean, it's going to yeah. turn people off easily. And the uh, Buffalo did a nice job of getting back. What that was the game that Buffalo mm-hmm. had to have. Uh, yep. You know, because uh, you you lose to Trevor Simeon and the beleaguered Saints, you're really in trouble. Now, Josh Allen was very spotty in the first half through two through two first half at separate, but he got himself together. My issue with Buffalo is that is that they don't run the ball well. And in order for you yeah. to be a championship contending football team, especially as the weather gets cooler, air gets thinner, and, and teams and and the players on uh, on opposing defenses are wearing, or and even just as a, as a whole team in general with the off with the uh, with whoever their opponent is on the offensive side of the football is that they're going to get tired because, you know, they've been going at this since mid late July and, and mm-hmm. you know, we're less than 24 hours or less than 12 hours away from it being December the 1st uh, at the time of this recording of this uh, segment. So uh, you got to be able to run the football, got to be able to, to uh, own time of possession, got to be able to control the clock and pose your well on opposing defenses with the battle uh, in the, with the battle in the trenches, 
and, and just send a message to your opponent that, hey, we are going to bully you. We're going to push you up at Dallas football field. If you've got a problem with it, stop us. Not to mention just from, a, from an offensive game plan perspective, it's going to open up and set up the passing game. And the, and the Bills just throw the ball. At least in my opinion, they throw the ball way too much for my taste. And they, and, they, and they run it way too little. They are a very, very unbalanced offense. Very one-dimensional. They can't run without Josh Allen. They have a couple of decent running backs, but nothing that's like says, wow, this team's going to like go far. Because once again, that one-dimensional like mentality is going to kill them. Josh Allen, you can't keep running him like that forever because he's your, what, $150 million guaranteed quarterback? Something like that. So if he gets injured... He loses his legs or his arm, he's done. So you're going to have to get a contingency plan. You need that, like a running game. You need an interior offensive line. It's been dealing with injuries, and it has really been exposed the last couple of weeks, which also exacerbates these issues. So they're going to go very running back and interior line heavy in the offseason. And I feel like they have the pieces in place. They just need a tweak or two, and they'll be okay. Uh, and this also, and then also just moving, uh, moving along here as far as week 12 is concerned, um, with, uh, with Indianapolis and Tampa, bad loss by Indianapolis. Uh, it was a, you know. it, it was a top five game. I mean, Indianapolis just made too many mistakes, especially in the early part of the second half. I, I I'll give them props for trying an effort, but once again, like they can't seal the deal unless it's a team under five, like Buffalo, they crushed. Indy's schedule is a little interesting. I think they have a shot at making the playoffs. Like, they have the ability to do it. But let me take a look real quick. They got Houston they're playing. Sunday. Houston yeah, Houston, that's Sunday probably a win unless they fall apart. Yep. And, the, and then... At home against Indianapolis. At Arizona. Yep. Home against Vegas. At Jacksonville. So, if you go three and two, you may have an outside chance of making it. So... Texans and Jags are wins, more than likely. You're going to have to win one against New England, uh, Arizona, or the Raiders. So pick one of them. You're going to have to win at least one. Have to. Have to. Uh, and then from a Tampa Bay perspective, you know, Brady, you give him enough. To, he doesn't even have to throw him. All he has to do is just control the offense and give the ball mm-hmm. off to Leonard Fournette, who had himself exactly. a hell of a day. 17 carries, 100 yards rushing, and scored uh, four and scored four touchdowns in a game. One of them receiving, ran for three, and then how about the Hall of Fame tight end Rob Gronkowski? Seven receptions, 123 yards. He's back in full effect as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers improve to eight and three on the season and get to and get to the 500 mark. A split three and three in there. Six uh, out of uh, what? Six out of uh, nine road. They have of this season as Tampa Bay took care of business 38 31. Uh, Tennessee versus the Patriots. Something about Mac Jones. I mean, this the Patriots, Very the Patriots are supposed to be not, you know, the Patriots are supposed to be garbage. Well, I, I didn't expect them to be garbage, but the way they were going, it was like, are the Patriots really like going to be like all these other, are the Patriots going to be these other football teams that we see? They, they, you know, they hit a rut. Don't finish above 500 for a couple of seasons. Miss out on on the playoffs. Got to build up through the draft, free agency, and everything else. And it's two and four. You're thinking, are the Patriots really about to become like a regular football team? And nope. then all of a sudden, they go on this win streak, 
and you blink, they're eight and four. <laughs> yeah. You, you blink, they're eight, you blink, they're eight and four. Mac Jones is uh, uh, and the thing what's made him so dangerous is that Bill Belichick has not overwhelmed him with the game plan. He, the game and the moments that he is in is not too big for him. He makes the throws. He makes the throws that 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 McDaniel's and the Patriots offense asked asked him to do. They run the football decent, decently enough. They ran for 105 yards as a team and a touchdown, 24 carries on Sunday. And you let Jason Myers board. Uh, throwing a little uh, Hunter Henry in the mix, and you got yourself a decent, and you got yourself a decent passing game. Uh, solid offensive line play. Now, the one thing I will say about Mac Jones is that when he gets hit, it seems like he all this seems like ball security is very iffy. If if somebody breaks through with a you know on a, if an opponent's pass rush eventually crack you know finds a little crack in the seal and they get the Mac Jones pretty pretty damn good he is his ball security is very iffy where you know he gets pounded and the ball flies out of his hand goes backwards five yards but the Patriots have played phenomenal football their offense is absolutely off the their excuse me their defense is absolutely off the charts uh Ryan Tannehill has turned back into a pumpkin the Titans cannot run the football without Derrick Henry and their receiver game essentially is not is uh, not existent with uh, with no uh, AJ Brown and no Julio Jones. Give me your uh, two cents of the Titans Patriots game over uh, this past. Titans game. are too banged up. I think they just tied the record for most players used in an NFL season. I think that year they tied was with a um, was with a like a strike season, if I remember correctly. I think it's 84 players. They'll probably break it pretty easily because they have a couple more injuries. I think uh, Janoris Jenkins just got injured. A couple guys on the COVID list. They just signed Deshaun Kaiser. <laughs> you remember that name? Yeah, he's uh, he's on their practice squad now. That's a name so, I haven't heard since like 2016, yeah. yep. 0-16 leader of the Cleveland Browns, baby. But uh, New England just dispatched them. They did what they needed to do. thing with Mac Jones is he's the best fit for Bill Belichick's scheme. Short, medium-range passes. He fits his best strengths. Uh, make your reads. Quickly assess the defenses. Get the ball out. That's, that's Bill Belichick's offense. It's not a very flashy offense. It's not a sexy offense. It gets it done. The defense has returned to clamping down like objects. Matthew Judon has been an outstanding signing. Uh, you know, getting Dante Hightower back was huge. Getting um, a couple other guys, uh, Van Noy as well. Getting him back was huge. I mean, but McCourty's like JC Jackson's been incredible, even without Stephon Gilmore. Like you've, they're a plug and play team. And what's ended is like the old narrative last year that Bill Belichick was nothing without Tom Brady. I think that's been blown out of the window, which I firmly believe was BS just because I feel like it was a symbiotic relationship. And now you realize, Oh wait, Bill Belichick actually is able to adapt to the modern game. It's not just Tom Brady bailing them out. So now they look like they're the most dangerous I've seen them since the Super Bowl year. The last time they won a Super Bowl in 2018, like they're playing with that kind of confidence and just like structure and they've really bounced back. And unfortunately for the rest of us, it's like, God damn it. I thought you were dead. And it's like, nope, you're not dead. We're still alive. Bye. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've dispatched some legit opponents too. Like the Cleveland Browns, they're not that great this year. They crushed them. The Chargers, who were supposed to be a Super Bowl contender, took them out. Atlanta dispatched. Titans dispatched. Uh, the Bills are going to be their next opponent. I think they win that one. 
just because like they're playing a strong game. And as you mentioned earlier, the bills are a very one dimensional team. You stop Josh Allen, you contain him in the run. You force him to like force throws. He makes mistakes. So that's what they're probably going to be hoping for. Josh Allen can get very reckless with the football a lot of times Mm -hmm. too. Absolutely. Uh, But but the thing about you said about the, now I don't need to toot my own horn with this. And I did not, I predicted the Patriots to make the playoffs last year. I did predict them to make the playoffs this year, but I did at all intents and purposes take them on the front take with a great salt, whatever, whatever uh, you shall please. I had them at 10 and seven because you, you get absolute fool, an idiot to think that Bill Belichick, who has been in football since the late 70s, was going to watch his quarterback for 20 seasons and Tom Brady go leave him, go to Tampa, win his first Super Bowl, win his seventh Super Bowl, first without Bill, and in his first season in Tampa, have him win a Super Bowl in his own home stadium, no less, and not expect Bill Belichick up the ultimate competitor and one of football's all-time greatest champions. You, you'd be an idiot to, to, to not expect Bill Belichick to pull some strings and work his black magic and to work his genius and have the New England Patriots be a pretty damn good football team in 2021. If, if, you, thought that, if you thought that after December 7, 2021, you, you, need, you need your head donated to science for examination because Bill Belichick was not going to sit idly by and let and watch Tom Brady win his seventh Super Bowl first without him at 44 years of age in his first year with this new team. And Bill Belichick was just going to be like, oh, well, whatever. If, if, if we mm-hmm. rebuild and we don't make the playoffs five years, so be it. This is Bill Belichick. This guy that won two Super Bowls with the Giants in 86 and in 1990 and, 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 has, and has gotten them to nine Super Bowls and uh, during his tenure with the Patriots, and won six of them. Bill, 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 Bill Belichick's a bad man. And anybody else who, who believed that argument that Tom Brady was the Patriots' dynasty, get your head in there, will you please? It was, it was Brady's Brady. greatness. But, you know, Brady, last time I checked, Brady can't draft himself. Brady, mm-hmm. you know, can't. I understand that he was the next man up. because That's how, that's where he fell in the depth chart. But, you know, Bill Belichick, uh, it's not... Yeah, Belichick didn't have to essentially have Brady uh, control the show from from after the uh, Drew Bledsoe's injury in week two of the 2001 season from essentially there on out. Drew Bledsoe could have came back healthy and they they could have put him right. Okay, Tom, thanks for watching. Your time's out. Drew's our guy. Now we just signed him to a big-time contract. I mean, mean, come on. Belichick is a football genius. Bill Belichick was a hell of a coach. Bill Belichick was a hell of a coach when Brady was in high school. Okay, mm-hmm. this was like this was the guy that prior that realistically, outside of a couple of seats uh, in the early two thousands and, and as recently as twenty with Cleveland, this was the guy that most that besides Kevin Stefanski and Butch Davis, he is the most he's the best coach that the Cleveland Browns have ever had in the last what thirty years or so. Something so, like that, yeah. Yeah, he's oh, Schottenheimer. Schottenheimer would be the other one, but right, yeah, they, well, they screwed like, him over too. Yeah, yeah, that's going back about 35 years. But outside, outside of uh, outside of Schottenheimer, 
Bush dance for a couple of seasons, and Stefanski, at least going off of last year's Browns team, he's one of the best coaches that the Browns have had in the last 40 years or so. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and nobody knew who Tom Brady was back when Belichick was the head coach of Cleveland. So right, let's, let's, you know, let's give the man his props. And also with the Patriots defense, and their last six games, listen to this stat, they're, they are in a six-game win streak. They have scored 30 – they have averaged offensively 35 points a game. They have – their defense has allowed 10 and a half points a game. They've turned over the football only four times, and their defense has racked up 17 takeaways. I mean, mm. that is absolutely oh, – yeah. that is absolutely phenomenal football. And, by the way, going back to the Bucks with Brock, most 100-yard games in NFL history of upside heads – Tony Gonzalez, all-time leader with 31. Ron Gronkowski with 30. Just want to throw that out there on the board. Are the Titans, Mm -hmm. you know, are the Titans, uh, you concerned about them at all? They're in a weak division, so I think they make the playoffs. So um, let me actually take a look at their schedule coming up. The Titans are playing Jacksonville after the bye this week, so – You've got them. You've got Pittsburgh, which is a coin flip because you don't know like how they're going to play after that. And then uh, let me actually look afterwards with the Titans. So if they get to ten, uh, my my baseline is ten wins. You can get to ten wins in this the conference. You make the playoffs. So they're playing the Jags and the Texans. So I think those are two wins right there. If they go two and three, I think they still make it at ten and seven. I, they might win their division. So. I tell you this: They need Derek Henry back the worst way. Of that. Easily, they do. They they're not making it anywhere without him. They've had too many injuries. Hundred um, percent. And uh, let's move on with uh, with the uh, Green Bay Packers and the Rams matchup. You know, this is what. Well, we'll say that. Let's get let's get to the Chargers because they had they had a significant loss of, uh, against Denver on Sunday. The Chargers roller coaster. They're very inconsistent. One week they look like a Super Bowl contender. The next week they look like that they're you know that they're you know trying to get trying to bounce for a top fifteen draft pick. I mean, it, they're a, they are a they are they can get sloppy. They are a very inconsistent football team. Uh, just what 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 is what is the deal with the Los Angeles Chargers? They have no run defense. The problem is their defense is very sloppy. They can over-rely on Justin Herbert. And their flaws have become very apparent over the past couple of weeks. You get dispatched by New England. I mean, they exposed Justin Herbert for some of his weaknesses. That comeback against Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh, that that should have never happened. The Steelers should have lost by two scores. They had dominated that game. And then the problem is, like, when you run into a really good defense like Denver – who I did not expect to win whatsoever. Like they just got shut down and I did not see that coming at all. I'm like, wait, what? Like Denver is not good. Like their offense is terrible, but like their defense played like it was 2015. Like they went lights out and this matchup against Kansas city now looks interesting because you have three teams at six and five, one at seven and four. So there's an argument you can get three teams from the AFC West to the playoffs this year. Very reasonable. You could. You get you get two you get three out of the West and two three out of the West, two from the north. Two from right. the north or the east. Right. So I, I I personally don't think three is gonna make it out the west because the Bron- the Broncos are gonna fade. 
it's, it's going it's to be the charge. It's going to be the Chargers in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. As of right now, the Ravens and the team I will not mention for sake I may jinx them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then you go with uh, the Titans. I don't think the Colts will make it. No, I think they just missed. And, and Buffalo and New England out of the East. Those, mm-hmm. those who I think the seven. Those who I think the seven teams will be. But I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think Indianapolis is going to make it because you know they lost to Baltimore. You know the one good one they have. What they have under their belt is against Buffalo. You know, and, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta beat the champs in your building. You can't blow double digit leads to the Ravens. You know, some, some games you just gotta you gotta nip it in the bud. You gotta nip it in the bud, and you gotta win. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. should have beat should have beat Seattle. Should have beat the Rams weeks one and two. Now, who knew that Seattle's gonna be this bad? We'll get to them in a minute. Yeah, should have beat them to begin the season. Um, it's just you know, it's, you know I, I, I they'll fall. They'll, they'll be competitive to down to the wire, but I think that they'll fall short. Um, with mm-hmm. Green Bay and the Rams, you know, here's my issue with the Rams. Okay. And I get so sick and tired of what Matthew Stafford. I, first of all, I do not believe for a millisecond that Matthew Stafford was going to be the solution to the Ray, all the Rams' problems offensively and at the quarterback position. He is a he is a glorified version of Jared Goff, in my honest opinion. Jared Goff stinks. And Matthew Stafford is a tad bit better. I find Matthew Stafford one of the most overrated quarterbacks of, of the last ten years or so. I mean, be, and, and the reason, and I could care less about his passing yards. I can care less about what points he gets for fantasy. I don't care about that. Here's the bottom line about Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford has gone consecutively. Okay, and I and I wrote down this stat. Let me see if I can find it. Matthew Stafford has thrown. Uh, has thro- has thrown pick sixes, and I believe, I believe, three, if not four straight games or so, three or four. I got to double check that. But he's but he's thrown a, he's thrown pick sixes in consecutive games. He threw one against the Titans. He threw one against the 49ers, and he threw mm-hmm. one and he threw one on Sunday. Who cannot be? I don't care who you are. I'll, I'll give a crap if you're Joe if you're Joe Flacco or if Nick Foles. Eli Manning, you cannot be a championship level quarterback, turn over the football, especially when you're giving literally giving away touchdowns and giving away six, seven points. Bad bad enough you turn it over the football, so 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 you give your opposition uh, a a possession that they that they that it didn't deserve. But wait, but when you're giving them possession and it's resulting it and and it's resulting in a touchdown where where you know, where your opponent steals possession and scores without their offense ever having ever have it ever have ever having step on the field. You you, you, you can't have that. And, and going mm-hmm. consecutive streaks of turn of of throwing pick sixes. I mean, like that's that's the Sean Kaiser, Matt Shaw type garbage. Now, Hall of Fame quarterbacks don't don't do that. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't care about what he's great throwing the football. He's gifted. I don't want to hear about that. Mm-hmm. What have you done for me lately? Type of business, and I find it hard to believe. I understand that we and we killed them early on about how the lines are inept. They don't do this. They don't do that. They're allergic to winning. Rebuilding since 1957, one of the oldest teams in the NFL ever played in the Super Bowl. I get that, but I find 
and it's hard to, you know, they, they, the organization fired Jim Cornwell after a nine and seven or 10 and six season and brought in an absolute uh, stooge in Matt Patricia to replace him. So I understand mm-hmm. that the Detroit Lions are not exactly ran by, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Rudys or the Barris back in their glory days. But, let, but let's call a spade a spade. I find it hard to believe that every single one of the seats that Matthew Starrow was in Detroit, that it was 100% the Lions' fault and 0% Matthew Stafford's fault. Because, mm-hmm. And I also don't want to hear the excuse that well, he never had any help around him. Hey, guys, guys, there was a wide receiver that got dumped into a Hall of Fame this past August. You might have heard of him. And I understand that he's not the whole team. You've got to have defense, a solid running game, hold on yards. You couldn't win it. You couldn't win one or two playoff games. We had a wide. We had a whole big wide receiver, Calvin Johnson. I mean, you, you couldn't. You couldn't win one or two. You know, Joe Black. Joe Flacco found a way to win playoff games with. Uh, found a way to win. Found a way to win playoff games with Derek Mason and Mark Clayton. You know, and Derek Brady, Mason. Brady, 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 yeah, Derek Mason. Tom Brady, although he's the greatest quarterback of all time, he won Super Bowls with with you know Danny Amendola. And Julian Edelman, and, you know uh, the uh, the what's the name of the lacrosse player? Uh, uh, Chris, Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan. Get yeah, a couple. I mean, that's, that, you know, uh, 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 let me get, let me give you another guy. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson went to Super Bowls with uh, with Chris Matthews, Doug Baldwin, uh, Ricardo Lockett, uh, Tyler Lockett. I mean, it, you know, uh, you go back. Look at the uh, the Saints. You know, Drew Brees was throwing to uh, was throwing to Marcus Colston. I mean, mm-hmm. so the idea that well, well, he had no no help around him. I'm not saying that he should have had a dynasty in Detroit. But you mean to tell me that? And he won like that. He never went to playoffs. He made it quite a few times. All things being, he, he couldn't win one or two playoff games. Well, you know, just solely because he had a Hall of Fame wide receiver on his team. It wasn't like that. Calvin Johnson was always hurt. He was a durable football player. He just got sick and tired of the, of the Lions' bullcrap, so he retired early. So, and him turned over the football left and right on top of the fact that Sean McVay, around every single time, every single season, it seems like, the league catches up to Sean McVay's little hijinks. Their offense has no answer for opposing defenses, and they just get overpowered, bullied, and just punched in the mouth. Uh, hypothetically speaking, by opposing teams. I mean, especially in, in the Titans and in the 49er, 49er games, especially, the Rams got bullied, bullied in those football games. And to be a, and to be a Super Bowl championship contending team, you can't always win football games and win championships, you know, with, with finesse and flashy slash the big play all the time. Yeah. So you got to be able to 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 get down and dirty with it, as my dad likes to say, put your big boy draws on, get nasty with it, and and and, and win some grown man and, and and play some grown man style of good old fashioned hard nosed blue collar NFL football, and and just overpower and dominate teams that way, just by just by out hitting them and and, and 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 winning the physical battle at the point of attack, and the Rams don't do that. Hmm. They just, they don't do it. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Rams, too, it's chemistry issue. I mean, you bring in all these star players, but, like, it's not really gelling as of yet. There's still time. 
But the thing with the Rams is I think Matthew Stafford's dealing with a bunch of injuries. So I think that's a problem on his end as well. So that might be affecting him as well. But like, once again, this is some of the stuff we saw out of him in Detroit. Like he'd have these great moments and this flashes of brilliance. And then he'd just like stall out and like, he couldn't carry a team to that next level. And that was, I hope that's not what's happening here, but I mean, trends aren't going in the right direction there, unfortunately yet. I mean, he's a guy that's he's pretty, he's the guy that was rejected to get the Rams to the freaking Super Bowl, and he's never won a playoff mm-hmm. game. I mean, with all due respect to Matthew Stafford, in, in, in real true essence, what's the difference between Matthew Stafford and Andy Dalton, if all things being considered? What, Matthew Stafford may have more talent, may have a better arm than Andy Dalton does, but at the bottom line, their, their resume, when, when their bread is really being buttered, is the same. No, no playoff victories. Mm-hmm. And, and, when, and when you're a quarterback, your legacy is made and not made when it comes to postseason success. And both guys, when they play January football, whether it be on the road, wherever, they, they come up short. And, you mm-hmm. know, and with all due respect to, to Andy Dalton, and well, like Andy Dalton went to the Cowboys, it was like, yep. No Dak Prescott, Andy Dalton's going to get the Dallas Cowboys to the Super Bowl. He got it. He got out of the dog Cincinnati. Poor ownership. They don't spend. They don't spend money. No indoor practice facility. Andy Dalton is now playing for a real football team with a real owner that cares. An owner that's funny. You didn't. You didn't hear that. You didn't hear that last year. Why? Because Matthew Stafford has is is a little bit more talented, and and maybe I don't know he is. But he's a little more talented, physically talented, and physically more gifted than Andy Dalton is. And he's projected to take the Rams to have them become a dynasty. And Andy Dalton is just a oh well, ho hum type of you know how you do it, keep it moving type of quarterback. That that has never made any sense to me. And then for a Green Bay Packers standpoint, you know mm-hmm. the, the thing that I worry about Green Bay. Their defense, you know, is a bit has a little bit elements of concern. They were they they weren't bad, but they weren't great against the Rams. They allowed Odell to bust that one loose for a touchdown to kind of inject some life into the Rams' offense, and they were absolutely atrocious against the Vikings the week before. I think what could really come back to bite the Packers, and it'll be ironic and funny if it does, is their special teams. Mason Cross yeah. not being able to kick field goals. Yeah. It, seems like, it seems like ever since the Bengal game, he's just been broken as far as his field goal kicking is concerned. Um, and, that, and that was well over a month ago. Uh, and then, uh, and then you know, they, they're, their return guy muffed the punt in the Kansas City game a few weeks prior to that, where if they hadn't muffed the punt, maybe the Packers could have stole that game with Jordan Love. Their biggest, their big, if their offense is starting to click. Their biggest issue is Mason Crosby can't hit field goals, and, and their special teams is very sloppy. And you know mm-hmm. they get themselves in a, they you know, they get themselves in a in a playoff game. You know it, it's going to be the special teams going to be the if Aaron Rodgers goes out there and has the postseason of his life, if the Packers don't make it to don't make it to the Super Bowl yet again, I got a good feeling it will be at the fault. Not not LaFleur, not Rodgers, not anybody, but not mm-hmm. not the defense, not Kevin King, but at the fold no. but at the fold of the special teams and, and, may, and maybe uh, Mason Crosby. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it's just, uh, it's just, you know, we'll, we'll see with Green Bay. Who do you th- who do you oh, think yeah. who do you think the uh, you know because the Forty Nineers are a little bit of a hot streak. Uh, who do you think is the best team in the NFC? That's tough. I mean, there are a lot of top-heavy teams. Arizona, when they're healthy, looks really good. San Francisco, I've been high on for a while, especially in the regular season. I had them winning the NFC West. They're starting to really regain that potential. The Vikings, I mean, they should be a lot better than what they are, yet they keep, like, blowing games. And I don't understand, like, just the logic behind it. I mean, if they need to evolve to the next level, they got to get rid of Zimmer. I mean, that's the only way they can really evolve because he's holding back that offense, especially with how talented it is, even without Dalvin Cook. Madison, I think, is a very proper replacement for him. I think he could do a a job or two. And these next few games are going to be crucial. You are playing Detroit, but you do a Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh's going to be, I mean, they're coming in with a must win as well. So, yeah, you got to go. You got to win both those games if you have any chance of making the playoffs, especially if you're Minnesota. Um, uh, and then, uh, another game I want to discuss, uh, got a couple more. Uh, we'll save Steelers and Bengals for, uh, for last, of course, just for you, just to make you happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> funny. um, but, uh, with the Ravens and Cleveland. That, that was the, that was such a rough game to watch. Oh, the greatest game. One of them. Oh, dear God. Like, if I wasn't doing one already on Raiders Cowboys, I would have done that one. Like, dear God. That was, you go from fumble, interception, fumble again, a field goal, interception, fumble, interception. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, Lamar looked terrible. Like, but that's what happens when you contain him in the running game. You force him to throw, he makes mistakes. And the problem is Cleveland couldn't finish on offense, so. They don't win, and he can't, and he gets and he gets very. He has a tendency to get very sloppy, very sloppy too with uh, with you know, throwing the football. I, mm-hmm. you know, you know, as Phil Simms says all the time, it's not a game of perfection. You know, he doesn't have to go out there and and, and have a perfect game every single time out. And I will give him a little bit of a break because of the fact that he hasn't played. What was the day of that? Uh, of that uh, Dolphin game. I believe that Dolphin game was the 20 – no, was the 18th. That, that, their, Dolphin Thursday, their Dolphin Thursday night game was the – no, wait, it was the 11th. So he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 days. He only missed one game, but he's had he had nearly three weeks in between starts. Cleveland Brown defense is no pushover. No pushover. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's why it's why they're it's why they're hovering at and around five hundred at this point in the season because Baker Mayfield's injured the hell in back. Yeah. Their defense is no pushover. And, uh, and the Browns have played the Ravens well the last couple of seasons. I will give him a little, I will give him the benefit of the doubt and will give him a, you know, that a, a bad game pass, so to speak, because first game action in, se- in 17 days, he, you know, he, yeah, 
again, not a game of perfection. He's going, he's going to do better from it. I expect him to perform better against Pittsburgh come Sunday. I expect him to take care of the football a little more. I expect him yeah, to be I agree. Come to him, be a little bit more patient, be a little bit more methodical with his, with his decision-making. Uh, but again, when, when, he, when the Ravens, regardless how bad or well he plays, when the Ravens' offense needs him to make plays with his arm, he makes plays with his arm. The two Mark Andrews receptions were just absolutely comical. The second one where he, oh, yeah. where he got chased down 30 yards by Miles Garrett and chucked in the middle of the end zone to Mark Andrews, who who sprints who sprints forward in the end zone five yards, he just catches it. And then the other one where he's running around in circles, throws it down the right side, and here comes Mark Andrews, you know, coming in from the other side of the field. Gets gets on like a baseball slide with it with his with uh, his with his other arm pinned behind his back with a pass interference penalty. I mean, the Ravens are just that are just are just that team this year where they just find ways whether it's whether it's because of they're just that damn talented or whatever black magic oh yeah whatever it is they're just finding ways Ooh. to win games this season. Oh. It's a it's, lot of it's luck. Definitely. Like it's a lot of like 2020 Steelers in them. If you think about it, dancing through the raindrops, despite a lot of issues. So, I mean, I can see an 11 and 0 situation happening at the end of the year. <laughs> Just saying, like, I mean, at Ravens fans will bitch saying like, Oh, we have a bunch of injuries. It's like, you should not be this good with all those injuries, man. I'm sorry. Like Lamar is scaring you. I mean, there's a good chance you're going to win next week and really like clamp up that division. But at the same time, like, do you think they're going to go to the Super Bowl with just Justin Tucker and Lamar Jackson and maybe Mark Andrews with all those injuries on defense and offense? I don't think so. Well, hell, because Super Bowl is so freaking late this year, they may have all their guys back in time for the Super Bowl. Maybe. Like this, Week this 18 rate. doesn't end until January 9th, which is insane to me. Right, and if they somehow the way still a one seed, maybe maybe they'll get Dobbins and or uh, Edwards back, or maybe uh, Marcus Peters. But because although because all those guys got injured back in back in August, and and if they somehow get a first round bye, they may be back in time for the playoffs. Who the hell knows? But then, but the Ravens are just they they seem like to me and I get a little bit of a funky vibe because I live here and I'm a native Baltimore and I'm around Ravens fans all the time. But you get but you kind of get a feeling that this was that this may be a team of destiny. You know, keep in mind that it's it, there's not too many sports where it's like this. Basketball basketball really is the only one where the best team always still always wins. Baseball, Mostly, yeah. baseball, football, and in your uh, range of expertise, hockey, the best teams, especially regular season-wise, don't always win. It's, a it's team, about it's, momentum. It's, it's about momentum. What team gets hot at the right time? And uh, and and also, you know, and just knowing at the team's toughness heading into a certain season and facing elements of adverse, adversity and knowing how to bounce back from it, it also plays a huge part into it as well. You know, look at the Braves for a perfect example who won the World Series. They, they lost their best player in July. Mm-hmm. They went and on their best the, pitcher too. Right, right. If they went on to win the World Series, 
So, so yeah. it's not always, it's not always, you know, you finish best record, especially the last couple of years where you finish with the best regular season record, you make it into play. Tampa was a wild card team. They won the Super Bowl last year. Uh, the uh, in 2019, the Chiefs didn't have the Chiefs didn't have home field in 2019. The Ravens did. The Ravens got bounced by Tennessee. So, so the best record doesn't always win. And part of me, and this I don't know how you feel all the way out there in Pittsburgh from from a Baltimore perspective. I feel like that this Raven team may be a team of destiny. Maybe that team that that Maybe. that on paper you look at them and it's like. How the hell did this team get to the Super Bowl? But then you watch them play and you just see how how they never say die and they never quit. They never give up on each other or the coaches. And, and they just they play to the final whistle to the clock and triple zeros. It's like with this team, Rick, with this team's level toughness, I can see why they've made it this far. S- similar situation like that. And then with Cleveland. You know, and uh, and uh, you know, my sister brought up a brilliant point watching the game on Sunday night. You know, why is why do the Browns continue to put out Baker Mayfield? He's not a hundred percent. He's a what? He's fully healthy. He's a good quarterback. He can when you playoff games, he can win you divisions. He can get you to the playoffs. Is he is he a Super Bowl championship quarterback? I'm leaning on the side of not really. He could be. But as of this moment in time when he's fully healthy, not really. So why and the fact that Case Kim's no scrub, he got the Vikings to the NFC championship game back in 2017. Are they really hell bent on just throwing Big Mayfield out there to the Wolves where he's got a bad knee, a bad foot, and a torn labrum in his shoulder? Where they're just gonna keep on throwing him out there to win your way out basis? I mean, what the world's going on with the you got Kareem Hunt's father bashing him on social media, Odell's father, you know, uh, a week or so prior to that, are the Cleveland Browns back to old Brown form? What are your thoughts? I think I think injuries have a good bit to do with it. With uh, Baker, I mean, he's injured to hell. I don't know if he's going to be the guy that leads you to a Super Bowl. They've uh, lost Kareem Hunt. They do have Chubb back, which helped them against Detroit. They still have an outside chance of making the playoffs, but they're going to need to win, like uh, get into form quickly because they've blown too many games. Pittsburgh really like sticks out like a sore thumb. I remember there was a couple, I think uh, Arizona, they got crushed. I think uh, they did crush Cincy, but the chiefs one lingers set the chargers game. So, and you have like four games right there that are just like, okay, we need those ones back because like they kind of did it to themselves there. And they play the Ravens again after the bye. So, You'll at least be able to bounce back, hopefully. But at the same time, I don't know. You've got five games left, and you've got to win at least four. And you've got a tough schedule. You've got Ravens, Raiders, Packers, Steelers, and Bengals. I don't know if you see four wins out of them. Maybe three, but not four. Four, 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 four. They'd be really lucky to get four. Um, Yeah. And then with uh, the Monday night game, which I won't spend too much time with, is an absolute news fan. Hey, Taylor Heineke, whatever, whatever. He just he just fits that per- that football team just so well, and he is just he's just a fighter. He's a gamer. He's a winner. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that just gives his heart and soul every single week. Goes out there and plays. You know, it, you know, is it is he gonna blow you away? Is he going to be like, oh, holy crap, you know, this is the guy that Washington's been waiting for? No, but he, but I'd say he's, he's a hell of a 
Houston holds the seventh seventh seed, seed which is crazy, <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and it's funny the way Washington's been playing as of late. Strong defensive play, especially in the Buck game. You know, timely offense, good running game. I'm like, this is why I picked this. T- I, I you didn't you didn't know this, of course, but I picked Washington to go ten and seven for the NFC East. The way that they've played the last few weeks, this is the reason why. Because I expected, because I knew the potential that this team has when they're clicking on all cylinders, and I expected this week one back in early September when they against the Chargers, and I expect them to essentially mm-hmm. play like this right from the opening snap in the first game. And all of a sudden, you know, it's their season's hanging in the balance. It's like, oh, holy crap! There's a playoff spot to be had. Not when we don't have to win our division to do it. You know, let, let's 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 turn the switch on, and you know, in mid late November, it's it's still a, it's still a playoff spot from somebody. Washington is a very very finicky football team, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, and then you also take into account that's it, that Seattle Seahawks the fish. You know, they're, they're done. That that was done. a dagger for their season. Like they, they needed this though. Like they were running on like fumes for too long. Rover relying on Russell Wilson. They need to rip the bandaid off. I think this means Carroll's probably gone. I'll probably let him retire, but at the same time, like, um, you've got to do a deep overhaul. I think Russell Wilson might be gone after this, just because he might remember that was those trade demands last year being a really bad team. It might be like, look, it's not working out. I want to help us head elsewhere, which I think they'll oblige, especially with um, how much he's done for that franchise. So this is, uh, this is the end of an era for Seattle. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny where I, we're not even, we're 10 seasons in the Russell Wilson. We're, we're, it's his 10th season as a Seahawk, but we aren't even 10 years into, you know, the 10 year anniversary of him being drafted, his 10 year anniversary of his rookie season, and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it looks like that he won't be able to be there the full 10, you know, 10 actual years, uh, you know, the way things have gone. And, you know, he is that. I get the slight suspicion that maybe that that finger is still bothering him, that he maybe hasn't fully healed, that he rushed to come back to try to save Seattle from the abyss once again, one more time. You know, but his decision making in the Washington game last night made no sense to me. Why in the world on third and short many of opportunities, you know, he stole the ball 15 to 30 plus yards downfield. I don't understand. Even on that long reception to lock it. You know, when, when she got when she got a big game down the left side of the field, why he's throwing a deep ball on third and one in that situation? Russell, take the defense gives you, man. You only need one yard. You know, and you guys aren't necessarily the gutsiest of uh, football teams as far as taking chances on uh, on fourth and short. Uh, you know, when you guys need a little bit of momentum or when you need a score, so. So why 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 are you trying to get the big play to the 15, 30, 50 yard play when you only need when you only need a yard or three or four or five? Just take what the defense gives you and and, and just get the first down and go from there. Don't skip steps and don't uh and don't bite more than you don't uh bite what's the phrase? Don't bite more than what you can uh, chew however the however the damn phrase goes. Uh but uh however it is. But anyway, I I just they're they're finished. Why they only waited until their, their until their last ditch effort late in the fourth quarter to give DK Metcalf a chance? I have no idea. He was wide open many a times. They in the attempted half. him a couple times, but like he kept getting incomplete. Like Washington clamped down. 
they were lucky to even be in that situation because I thought he did catch that ball, but I guess like it kind of hit the ground a little too weird. So incomplete pass, but um, do you have to be perfect, especially on those situations? And they weren't. So they were one yard away from pulling a bullshit out of their ass, but they didn't. And that's why you're sitting here three and eight, your season's over pretty much. Offensive line garbage. Uh, you know, their defense is absolutely atrocious. You know, I, t- I tell you, uh, Jamal Adams is so overrated and it's mind-boggling. He stinks the the, the the Seahawks. It wasn't the Jets facing the Seahawks. It was the, it, 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 it wasn't the Seahawks facing the Jets. It was the Jets facing the Seahawks because they absolutely destroyed Seattle with that trade. Jamal Adams, I mean, oh my goodness gracious, the literal worst. Uh, just just an absolute waste of time and space as a uh, as a safety in the National Football League. I mean, I mean, this guy only has two interceptions, two or three interceptions, you know, uh, uh, in his career or whatever. It's just or not of his career, but like he's he's got way too little interceptions for for a defensive back. He's, he's he might as well change positions and become a linebacker at this point. Because I've never seen a safety light up in the box in the box, excuse me, more times than uh, than uh, than Jamal Adams does. But yeah, see, it's even better because the Seahawks don't have their first round pick this year, so you can't even rebuild properly. Oops. They're they're in the similar predicament that the Rams are in, except that the Rams have the talent around them to compete for a championship with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Both, they, 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 they're both, they're both teams are limited in cap space, and both teams essentially have sold off their first round draft capital for the next few seasons. The only difference is that the Rams have the talent on their football team to win championships by to get their championships together by 2023, 2024. The Seahawks could could get the could end up getting a first round draft, a first overall draft pick. Whether, I don't know about I, that. Detroit and, and Jacksonville are too tough. So, whoops. Yeah, they, 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 they could set up a team to get a, to, to at least get a top 10 draft pick come 2023, 2024 because of their lack of talent. The clock has struck midnight on the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Now for me to take my victory lap. Uh, yeah. as I, yeah, I knew this was coming. My beautiful Cincinnati Bengals helmet. Uh, in hand, uh, what an absolute phenomenal performance! Uh, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers could not stop Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon uh, had a phenomenal day. Uh, yeah. Ran rampant all over the Seahawks. The Seahawks, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Uh, I believe he not. I believe I know he's gone eight straight games with uh, with a rushing touchdown which I believe is an all-time record for the Cincinnati Bengals franchise. Uh, the way the Bengals have played out of the bye week has been absolutely phenomenal. They have taken, they have fallen out of love with that deep play with Joe Burrow to, the, to Jamar Chase, which has been a mm-hmm. large reason why they had such, which is one of the reasons why they they were at five and four heading into the bye week and had more wins throughout the first uh, month and a half of the uh, 2021 regular season than they had all of 2020. But Mixon, 28 carries, 165 yards, ran for two touchdown passes, and T. Higgins absolutely destroyed y'all. On top of the fact that the Bengals' defensive front sacked Ben Roethlisberger three times, 
Uh, how about Mike Hilton, the ex-Steeler, getting the pick yep. six? I play, I, I play after. First play from scrimmage, the, the Steelers catch a break with the Micah Fitzpatrick interception, and T.J. Watt wants to go WWE on Joe Burrow for whatever reason during the Micah uh-huh. return. And then the next play later, you know, here comes Mike Hilton reading, you know, reading Ben Roethlisberger like a like a book. He takes it back to the house for his first and it and all of his years of playing football. This is first ever pick six of his life, and the Bengals absolutely. Uh, demolished Pittsburgh by the final score of 41 to 10, extending their current win streak over the Pittsburgh Steelers at three. Their uh, third win against Pittsburgh in less than a year, in a in less than a year since that uh, debacle on Monday night prior to Christmas of uh, last December, and they also sweep the season series from Pittsburgh for the, for excuse me for the first time. Since 2009, my Bengals are seven and four, about a half game out of first place in the AFC North. The Pittsburgh Steelers are dead; they are done; they are finished. No TJ no. Watt because of COVID. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger is old and washed up. They cannot run the football because Matt Canada is a stooge. Why we have Ben Roethlisberger throwing the football 41 times? I do not understand. Tree, the floor is yours. All I gotta say is. Bengals earned that win, man. I mean, they dominated in all facets. Like that was just a statement win, if there ever was one against the old bully, they just just ripped them to shreds. And I that was a game the Steelers needed, especially because look, you can't lose to the Bengals twice. Your division opponents are big, especially with the record you've had. You're in a bit of a skid. You don't, I mean. T.J. Watt was coming back, but he's visibly unhealthy. I mean, he's coming out of COVID, unfortunately. But that run defense is atrocious. They've lost too many bodies. Devin Bush has been – he's been terrible. And I love the pick at the time, but he has just not been the same. And he's having trouble, like, mentally, too. Like, he's having trouble, like, reading plays. Like, there was a play against the Chargers where, like, he just stands there waiting to read the play, and he doesn't recognize it until the guard's, like, right up in his face. Like there was just like they benched him for Robert Spillane. Then Spillane got injured, and Spillane's probably not going to play. So you're looking at Devin Bush. Do you trust Devin Bush to spy on Lamar Jackson? No. Justin Herbert wrecked this rush defense. What is Lamar Jackson going to do? What is that run defense going to do against Baltimore? Like, yeah, I mean, two. It's probably not coming back this year. I mean, his brother committed suicide. I'm absolutely fine with that. Take all the time you need. T.J. Watt, you have no pass rush anymore because like. They used to rush four. Now they got to rush extra guys and leave the offense open and like the field down there. You have a good quarterback, you get exposed. Like Mark Andrews might be going hog wild on this defense because Joe Schobert's been okay, but he's not like the kind of guy who's going to go like wow for you. Like you, your best playmaker on defense right now is Cam Hayward, and he's 32. And I don't know how long he's going to keep that up. He's had a high with an ankle injury. Your cornerbacks are like Joe Hayden. He's out for a bit. Like James Pierre, Joe Hayden would have been covering him. I don't know if like he would have covered the T Higgins touchdown, but like you're, you're in, you're on depth pieces and guys that have not performed. And this defense was supposed to be the thing that was like super great. I, I said it was not in, invulnerable at the beginning of the year, but it is terrible now. And the offense has been bad too. Ben's a liability. I've been saying this since the middle of last year. 
just because like he throws too much. He has too much power on the offense. Canada is just like it, the only thing he's done differently is just like uh, offset motion and like pre-snap motion. I mean, and well, you can't really do anything about that, unfortunately, because uh, most athletes can read that at this level. Your offensive line, you're trusting rookies and veteran journeymen to take on those roles. They haven't been able to. Najee Harris can't get holes in the line. They gave up on the running game really quickly, which is it's atrocious because you drafted a first round running back for that reason. As I was said, who's blocking for Najee Harris? That was my complaint about the pick. I thought they should have gone heavy O-line. Like, I wanted Creed Humphrey in the second round. I like Fryermuth, but Creed Humphrey would be a lot better, especially in the middle of that center role, than Kendrick Green, who uh, doesn't have the technique to be a center right now. He's going to need, like, more time to develop. Same as Dan Moore. They could be something, maybe. But now, no. Unfortunately, it's uh, – that was one they needed, and uh, this game is going to be very telling. There's a lot of complaints about players saying they need to take practice better, which is absolutely alarming to me because that means you're not taking it seriously and you might need a coaching change. And I know like a lot of people say fire Tomlin. If you're going to rebuild, I'd say keep him around. But the fact is, if you're having trouble in practice, those, those habits translate into on-field performance. And – it, it, it's a damning testament for an NFL team that you're having trouble getting motivated when your head coach is a motivator. So I don't know if it's like one of those things. It's like Tomlin's passes expiration date. And I've said that before on the show, or if it's a situation like, okay, the players, they're not the right players for the situation. So you're hitting a really tough schedule coming up. This is unfortunately, I think they probably go, at best, eight, eight, and one. That's not going to get you to the playoffs. So it is what it is, unfortunately. Baltimore, Minnesota, Tennessee, Kansas City, Cleveland, Baltimore. It's a very tough schedule. Ravens twice, and, and then you have Kansas though, City. Like at best, like I can see them going maybe four and two if they're really lucky. But I don't see that. Like the Vikings are going to play tough. The Titans, you have a chance of winning because they don't have Derrick Henry, but I think they play tough as well. Uh, Cleveland, probably win. I don't know. Maybe. Baltimore, you might win once. So, I don't know. I really don't know. And even though Minnesota's five and six, the way things stack right now, Minnesota could beat Pitt. All Minnesota has to do to beat Pittsburgh is just outscore them. They're, and outrun, outrun the ball. Exactly. Uh, the oh, problem yeah. is, like, this team was being bailed out by defense all year. And now that defense is the gates are open. They can't hold on anymore. So you're getting situations giving up 41 points in back to back games. 100%. I was listening to, uh, and I heard during the broadcast, uh, Trent Green made the point how the Steelers were like, a few a few short weeks ago, they were ranked at around 11th. They were top fifth. They were having like a top 15 defense in the National Football yeah. League. Now, now it's like falling all the way down to like the mid 20s, right? Yeah, yeah the, the, exactly. Fall all the way down to the 20s. And I was listening to the Pat McAfee show on Monday, and you know his uh, res- the resident Steeler fan on that show, uh, Toad Diggs said, you know during the Steeler days of the Killer Bees at 20. Uh, in 20, like from 2014, 2013, 2014 up to 2018, when they had the 
where they had the killer bees and you know when Ben Roethlisberger was in his prime and they had Antonio yeah. Brown and Le'Veon Bell, their defense was a liability that was holding them. It back was terrible. From, from, yep, from the secondary to, it was atrocious. From getting to the Super Bowl, and then when Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell left, and ben the defense became really good. But he was, but he was still okay. Their defense, their defense became stout, but their offense would go through these dry spells where they just couldn't score. Now it's the now it's the worst of both, where you have the piss poor defense from the Killer Bees era, and you have the bad offense that we've been accustomed to seeing essentially since uh, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown left for greener pastures, and ever since Ben Roethlisberger turned what. 36, 37 years of age a few yeah. years ago. I said, I said as you can even, you can say kind of sort of his decline. It's starting. The, the snowball started to build during that, during that Jacksonville playoff, during that Jacksonville playoff game in 2017. Mm-hmm. So it's just, and it's funny how it all circles back. <laughs> it's funny how it always circles back to Mike Tomlin. I think he should have been fired after the 18 debacle and especially after last season. I, if the Steelers are dumb enough and are and are too caught up in their own ways to keep them around, especially if, if they don't make the playoffs this year, just for just a change of scenery and just, you know, he's past his expiration date at this point. The Steelers are going to be in for five miles of bad road coming later on this 2020 decade. And I saw early this afternoon that, you know, Chase Claypool, you know, he was like, maybe we need to start playing music in practice. And I saw Kate Hayward said, I hope he said he was quoted of saying, I hope he was joking. I was, I'm, I'm prepared to rip those speakers out. So it's mm-hmm. like, you still get like that, 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 that friction and that toxic nature within the locker room. We know how you feel about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to hear you sing the praises before we let you go. On hey, they they played a great team game. Their defense was really sound. Joe Burrow's been outstanding. Mixon was pretty much had any time to run. So that was an outstanding team effort by Cincy, and it was a statement to get them to the playoffs. And that's all you can really say about it. It was domination, pure domination. There's no other way to describe it. Take your victory lap, man. That's all I, I will say. take it. I will take it proudly. Um, the one thing I will say, and you may, and you and everybody else, else may call me an idiot for doing this. I, 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 I don't, I don't fully trust them. It's not because of this. I don't blame team you in particular. I, I don't blame it's, you. It's, it's past history. references that you're afraid of. I completely understand that. History. I, I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want to get my hopes up. And then come January, it's like we lost it. It's another wild card loss. You, it's another. If it's another wild card loss, you're gonna you're gonna have to pray for me because if if, if, I, uh, if God forbid I get my hopes up and they and they break my heart in tragic fashion again. I don't know. You gonna have you gonna they gonna have to do something with me. I, I, won't, I won't be able to contain myself if they choke in January or 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 collapse. God forbid, knock one one late season again. I, I will not be able to handle that. I just I just, I just won't. I've, I've been like you said. I've been hurt way too many times. You know, only you know if I keep, if I keep on going to the going to somebody that gets abused. Yes. Yes, the abuser's at fault, but who get who's also the idiot to keep on going back? You know, at some point in time, got a question. You know, if, who's really the fool here? I'm the fool if I'm like, you know, if I if I if I channel my own quote unquote 
so old for the Bengals and go, Bengals are going to Super Bowl and start, and, you know, who they, who they, who they say going to beat the Bengals. But I am enjoying uh, this little victory lap over uh, the good old black and gold team uh, in mm. Pittsburgh. Last, or two quick things before I let you go. You've done a phenomenal job. Appreciate you for being on this long. Uh, just to give the audience a feel of the whole Chicago Blackhawks scandal in hockey that has uh, that took the sports world by storm at the beginning of the month of November. Fill the audience in and just give them an abbreviated version of everything that went down and the issues where the NHL is held liable and everything else and things of that nature. Here's a situation that occurred. The Chicago Blackhawks 2010 team won the Stanley Cup, but there was a situation that occurred during the playoffs. There was a, uh, a video uh, uh, coach. His name was Jeff Aldridge, and he uh, had two players in particular. One had come out and mentioned that he was one of the abused. His name was Kyle Beach. The other has not been identified, even though they've kind of identified him. His, he hasn't identified himself yet. His, they, they call him John Doe, too. There was John Doe too and John Doe. They were sexually abused by um, Brad Aldrich, uh, like in a private session. They were, said they were brought in for film. Like he would put on porn in front of them, masturbate in front of them, and like drug them, force oral sex on them. Um, you know, have threesomes with random girls, like like, th- and then threaten them with baseball bats. And he was a predator that was able to get away with it because. The organization had a meeting about these allegations. Joel Quinville, the head coach, uh, who was um, had mentioned he didn't want anything to do with it because it would distract and uh, distract the team chemistry of that cup run. So it had laid dormant for a bit. Brad Aldrich was able to leave with honor. He got a couple more jobs. There was accused accusations of him at uh, Miami of Ohio and maybe Notre Dame. But the real damning thing was when he volunteered as a high school coach for a team in Michigan, he sexually assaulted a 16 year old boy. So now he was put in jail for 18 months, registered as a sex offender. And I think he works with young men still now as an entrepreneur in like a glass factory. But the problem is now that um, Kyle Beach eventually filed a lawsuit against the Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL. They tried to bury this for a long time. There were grumblings about it. Like, like all the big guys, like Al McIsaac, Stan Bowman, the executives of the Chicago Blackhawks, a few other guys knew it was worse than we imagined because McIsaac knew Bowman knew like the three executives from the Blackhawks that were still there from that time. They were gone. Joel Quenville, he knew, but he was the head coach of the Florida Panthers at the time. They did not like put him on a leave of absence. He was allowed to coach that night when it was revealed and then had to resign the morning after, which is pretty damning in that testament. Kevin shoveled day off the assistant GM knew, but he was apparently cleared by the NHL. So he still has a job. Um, otherwise uh, most of the players like they're in a rough set set too, because this team was supposed to be done rebuilding and they're terrible this year. And it's an, it's a massive black eye to the sport of hockey because they covered it up for 10 years, even more. And it's a Stanley cup champion, a dynasty's tainted. Because now it's oh no, like it's Not one of the darkest. They cheated, but because no, because like they covered up sexual assault. Right, exactly. Yeah, so like that's why it's tainted. Because like, okay, now you think about it, it's like oh, you don't think about oh, they ended a fifty-year curse. They were allowed to win a championship after Dollar Bill Wirtz died. You know, all the great young players: Kane, Taves, Seabrook, Duncan Keith. Um, now it's like. Okay, you covered up sexual assault. Great, go fuck yourself. 
and that's pretty much the uh, the situation in a nutshell. And, and uh, yeah, I I saw that it I saw it in all the in the internet and Twitter feed blew up and everything else. I, what are your two cents on that? Because you know I had no idea. If you, I didn't even know that the Chicago Blackhawks won a Stanley Cup in 2010. So that shows you as much as I, I, I you can fit my knowledge about hockey. You can fit it into this into this pen cap right here. That's like, that's how little your surely knows about hockey outside of the fact that the uh, sh- that the Washington Capitals won the uh, 2018 Stanley Cup over the. Uh, Golden Knights in the five, in a five game series. So, thank you for coming on and clarifying that for us, Yurinang Tree, your resident uh, hockey uh, extraordinaire expert. I mean, it kind of ties in, and it kind of, you know, you, you bring up the issues with Washington and that whole situation. You know, I screamed, I screamed about it last year. I screamed about it earlier this year. You know, can the NFL have the guts? have the cojones to sit up here and say, you know what, enough's enough with this nonsense. You can give me the it takes all of us crap and the inspire change and end racism and air commercials oh, no. with, with people of all types of different ethnicities, creeds, sexual orientations. You, oh, yeah. you can have all that to the cows come home. None of that means a damn thing if that's still the owner of the team. And I oh, said this... But they're not going to let him go, though. We know this. He would have been gone by now. I mean, even not just for, like, the shit that happened. Like, there were grumblings about this for a long time. And the problem is they did nothing about it because he was a a nice owner that just walked the line and did what he was told by the big shots of the NFL. That's all they care about. I mean, it doesn't matter that Washington's a joke. It doesn't matter that their stadium – their team is, like, full of apathy. Like, nobody cares about them. FedEx Field is a dump. They had another like sewage leak because he doesn't care about keeping the infrastructure intact. And also like, like tickets are ridiculously cheap because nobody wants to go. I think it's like something like 40% attendance or something ridiculous, but it's like, no, they don't care because they're Washington. They care. Dan Snyder's moves over the past year and a half, just scream, please don't make me sell the team. That's all it is. That's why he changed the name. That's why he brought in like a bunch of different executives, like, to make a diverse profile. That's why he brought make doing all these initiatives. Not because Dan Snyder cares. It's because he doesn't want to sell the team. That's all it is. It's a, it's, it's a, it, a, it's a dog and pony show. And, and I said this uh, when I had the uh, Miami Dolphins beat reporter of the, of the Miami Herald, uh, Dale Oifusi on uh, prior to the Ravens and uh, Dolphins Thursday night game. I, I said this, so I say it to you here. You know, it makes no, no, I didn't say it to him. I, I said it when I had uh, Jason Azario of the J Reels podcast. Look, both if you've never heard of him. Uh, I, I said this to him. Uh, I said this to him back in October. I told him, I said, it makes no difference whether or not, the, whether or not what the team name is. Because me personally, if they're still called the Washington Redskins and the owner is ran by, is, and the owner is a class A, top notch you know he treats every single one of his employees with respect you can get no sexual assault allegations no sexual misconduct no toxic work environment you know the the men respect the women everybody is on their best behavior it is a clean beautiful cohesive great 
working fire. On top of the fact that, you know, maybe Washington competing on a couple Super Bowls here and there. I would much rather have that and have the and have he be one of the best and most revered owners in the sport with the Redskin name still intact than you to replace the Redskins name because, like you said, not wanting to sell the team, or the other flip side of being politically correct and 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 pretending like you quote unquote ended racism because of the fallout from George Floyd last summer. Meanwhile, Dan Slyer's still the owner of the team. You, the emails are not released. The you know you still have this uh, nonsense with the with the sexual assault allegations, the sexual misconduct, and this whole toxic work environment stuff is still in the ether, tarnishing the franchise. But, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, the name has changed, so, so everything's all peaches and roses and everything, sugar and spice, and everything nice. Because at the end of the day, if, 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 the, if, Wash, if the Washington franchise is, is a complete one-eddy of what it is now, but it still has the Redskins name, that's fine. What, what, do you, what if, let's say, in an alternative universe, Dan Slice, the best owner in football, what, it's his, it's his fault? That that you know that the Redskins name still sticks. That's just that's been the name of the franchise since the since the nineteen thirties. Well, like he came up with the name. It's been the name for the last eighty, going on ninety years or so. So I would so I would much rather have that have the name stick, but have the work environment be a place of oh, inclusion easily. where 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 women where women are treated as equal. No racism and this and misogyny allegations and everything is top notch. Everyone's on their p's and q's while the, while the redskin name still sticks. Because quite frankly, cha- the changing of the redskin name means nothing outside of the fact of again, like you said, fearing of being forced to sell the team fear of losing sponsorship deals and to you may not like it but deem politically correct of how you know with the redskin being with the name redskins being a and racially insensitive slash racial slur but yet other other than the literal name nothing else has changed i mean yeah you, you could give the the jason Wrights and the julie dallas and the cows come home none of that matters dan snyder is still the owner you know, and again, mm-hmm. and it kind of ties into the whole John Gruden situation. And I'm not defending John Gruden by any circumstances. He dug his grave. You made your bed, you got to lay in it. You know, you heard it too, you got to pay the piper. The chickens that he, you know, the chickens have came, have finally came home to roost 10 years later after he sent all those emails. He was at ESPN. But it isn't right in the set of circumstances by John Gruden, who I understand, and I'm not feeling sorry for him. He, you know, he made his own decisions. He's the girl man's going to have to deal with that. Actions have consequences. But it isn't right in essence why John Gruden won't coach at the NFL again and won't have a big-time job again, why his career has to suffer, yeah. yet Dan Snyder still sticks. Nah. Why, to be why, fair, why, with why, the stuff that came out, there was no way. He's an owner worth billions. That's that's not right. If, if, uh-huh. if, if misogyny homophobia and racism is all treated and viewed as the same despicable, pathetic, lonely garbage that it is, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your, your job title, the money you make, or the power that you have. Hate is hate and wrong is wrong. And it doesn't matter if you're an owner worth billions or a football or a head or, or a head football coach worth millions. It doesn't matter. Why does group get get thrown to a wolves for bait? to save Dan Snyder's own hide. That's not right. Based on the circumstance that Groom gets 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 thrown off the cliff and Dan Snyder survives. Why? Because he's mm-hmm. an owner and he's worth more and he may and he has more power within the National Football League than Groom does? That's a crock of garbage. Yeah.
I mean, once again, as I was trying to say earlier, to be fair, with the stuff that came out, there was no way he could have gone back into the locker room after that. But I still have an issue like you have this huge investigation about Washington and all the shit they pulled. Yet the only person that's punished is John Gruden. And then the NFL comes out and says, oh, there's no other emails about like how we, we didn't do anything. So I'm just going to award myself a medal for uh, <laughs> doing everything powerful. I, I, I've won everything. The NFL gets the Medal of Honor just because they're such a great organization. And that's pretty much all it, all I get out of it. And it's just a shitty situation. We're never going to get closure. The NFL wants to cover it up because they know like there's some skeevy shit that people don't want to hear about. So it's not probably in the racism or any of that stuff. It's in the day-to-day operations stuff people don't want to hear about. And that's why they don't want those emails coming out. I pray, I pray to God they come out. Because maybe if they'll come out, it'll actually will, will, will help the other folks. If it does, it'll actually you know, get, to the, get to the root of the problem we start cleaning up this thing. And, and you know, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll start taking into effect of changing, changing the on-field product, such as said ref ball. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, we digress. Uh, re- last thing, and I do mean this is the last thing. Will we have a long work stoppage in baseball? Will, will we have opening day come late March of 2022? Or will we, or are we looking at a season, or excuse me, a year of 2022 in which we won't have baseball? I hope it's not that situation. The CBA expires at the end of tomorrow. Actually, not tomorrow. I think today, or like, yeah, tomorrow. December 1st is when it expires. But, um, all signs are pointing to a work stoppage. I'm hoping it's not long, but it's a situation baseball can't afford because you had a bunch of guys sign like big free agents. And I'm hoping that's not the last hurrah for a while. Lost the earbud there for a second. Um, But um, I know you got Scherzer signing with the Mets, Corey Seager and Marcus Semien signing with the Texas Rangers, Robbie Ray with the Mariners, Kevin Gossman with the Blue Jays. So you get a lot of guys that have come in and signed, but it means nothing if you're going to have a, a long-term work stoppage. If, if spring training or baseball itself is delayed, they're in deep shit because baseball can't afford to lose any of the progress it's made. And it's trending downhill, but – if they lose, like, that CBA negotiation takes a long time, it's going to crater. But, like, you saw how much apathy there was for a 60-game season. If they have another condensed season like that, I don't know if baseball recovers. And if it happens, I can say I won't feel too sorry for them because it's their own damn fault if they Pretty end much. up going into the abyss and nobody cares about the game. It also doesn't help that the fact that my team stinks and my owner is a piece and the owner of the Baltimore Orioles is a piece of filth. But I will be the first thing right now. If there's no 2022 baseball season, I will not shed a tear over it because they like the Orioles going to win a damn thing. You can fight mm-hmm. billionaires, millionaires can fight till the cows come home. About 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 stupid about stupid nonsense in the next CBA. See if I give a crap. If you don't have a season, you'll be the one that will suffer in the long term. Not me. I'll spend my attention doing all the stuff else. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll spend more time shooting my shot at Instagram models and uh, and right. uh, and and making bank and uh, increasing my education and trying to get this dopey show's ratings up. 
Yeah, I will not miss you one bit. I, if I got to break down the senior bowl, so be it. So be it. If I got to break down, you know, game seven of the, uh, of the, of the Stanley cup finals, I will do that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't have a season. Man, for Pick up Lance. What a joke they are. I've had enough of them. Trey, I understand it was wrong, my brother, but you did an absolutely phenomenal job. As always, you brought your fastball. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on again, dude. Anytime, man. You are a top-level talent. And, and you deserve all the attention and the uh, and the glitz and glamour and the airtime that you shally uh, deserve uh, uh by the way is there is the yenzer mode deactivated or Stellar uh, not yet there's still there's still a little glimmer there left but uh false hope is uh very is waning big time especially yeah. in pittsburgh like yeah. around 1250 there was like a lot of false hope in this city like stellar still going to super bowl even though they lost the chargers but then you get crushed by the Bengals. it's like oh god <laughs> And with that tough schedule, that's a game you needed, especially if you're Pittsburgh. So, the, yeah. yeah. Can we get it? Can we get a what? What would the Yenzer say? What would the Yenzer say if the uh, if the if they somehow beat the Ravens by a seventeen well, oh, on Sunday? Stellar's Super Bowl. We're got Super Bowl. Yeah. That's what's gonna happen. The terrible towels are gonna wave, my friend. It doesn't yeah. matter. We could be one in fifteen. The terrible towels will still fly. <laughs> I love this guy. He is when he does when he does that Yinzer bit. It, it cracks me up every time. Trey, oh, thank you again, my man. Our resident Yinzer. We'll be back with the Amatelica TIS podcast in a moment. Back right after this. Set the night wind. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little land. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. With a tail as big as a kite. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy. Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song. One of the best Christmas songs of all time. Welcome back to the Amazonica TIS podcast and a special thanks to Urinating Tree for joining us. He did a phenomenal job. Real quick before I get to the college football, because like I said, that has been a heavy, and I understand that there's NBA stuff to get to and talk about the NBA, you know, lots of stuff that I want to, I want to give my opinion on in the NBA and baseball, a couple, a lot of free agency signings. And of course the lockout is forthcoming. Uh, and if, if you're listening to this episode on December 2nd, it's already here. 
Um, but so, and I will save that for Friday. I will essentially spend a lot of uh, the only football talk I will try to keep uh, that I will try to do essentially on Friday, which will be uh, you know the the week thirteen preview and the picks. Other than that, I will diversify it to uh, diversify the program a little more and get you a couple of my thoughts on a couple of NBA. What's happening in the NBA? And then give you my two, you know, Tiger, give you, you know, he, you know, he had a press conference earlier this week. So the football heavy, football centric show today, but it won't be on Friday, I promise. A couple of point, a couple of stats I want to give you referring back to Matthew Stafford and the Rams and the, and the Packer game in relation to that. Matthew Stafford most picks sixes among active quarterbacks. He's got 26. Matt Ryan has 19, Roethlisberger has 18, Brady has 17, Andy Dalton has 15. Matthew Stafford's got 26. Anybody that sits up here and tells you Matthew Stafford, big-time quarterback, just read him that stat. And oh, by the way, read him this one while you're at it. First quarterback with a pick six in three consecutive games since Matt Schaub did it in four in 2013. Matthew Stafford overrated and I will think so and I will say so until I'm proven otherwise but anyway I digress from the pro game to the college game one of the biggest stories of the week in college football a at least when it went on the field is Michigan ending their eight game skid against Ohio State beating them by the final score of 42-27 <coughs> excuse me Ending their eight-game skid, Hassan Haskins with his five-touchdown day for the Wolverines. An absolutely phenomenal day at the office. 28, 28 carries, 169 yards, ran for five touchdowns on the afternoon. Uh, just a phenomenal job, phenomenal job by him. And uh, Michigan, they finally got the monkey off their back, beating Ohio State, improving to 11-1 and on the season, 8-1 uh, within the uh, Big Ten. Ohio State, 10-2, and 8-1 in the conference as Michigan looks ahead to play Iowa in a Big Ten uh, football, uh, in, a Big T- in, the fo- in a Big Ten football conference championship game on Sunday. Uh, or not Sunday on Saturday. As you look ahead to that coming up on coming up later this weekend, uh, and then of course, uh, and then of course in the Iron Bowl you had Bama. You know who was whose offense was escape at well, who, uh, escape was asleep at the wheel for essentially you know fifty eight minutes and and some on seconds against Auburn in the Iron Bowl on Sunday, and uh, look and bright and uh, Bryce Young. Excuse me, Bryce Young. They're a sophomore out of uh, Pasadena, California. Twenty-five fifty-one through for three seventeen, two touchdowns and interception. Fought up, got Alabama all the way back with a ten-point uh, fourth quarter set in the game in overtime, and Alabama in uh, double overtime and double overtime. Excuse me, and or excuse me, four overtime, four overtimes. I digress. Uh, win the game by the final score of uh, 24-22, uh, escaping what, what would have been a cataclysmic upset uh, at the hands of the Tigers and probably would have knocked them out of the college football playoff regardless 
regardless of how they play against uh, against Georgia in the highly anticipated SEC championship game coming up on Saturday down at a Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium as, as, as you will get Alabama and uh, Georgia, number one ranked team in the country in the SEC championship game in Atlanta, a, a city at the Georgia Dome and now at the new stadium at Mercedes-Benz, a team, or excuse me, a location where Alabama has played uh, well historically and we will get into that. I said it was going to not be so much a football-heavy centrist center of the show. I got the conference championships and college football to talk about on Friday. I will save my commentary on the Big Ten and the SEC conference championships especially coming up uh, later in the week, but Alabama uh, escapes the upset uh, 24-22 on Sunday. Uh, and then, of course, uh, and then the top four in the college football playoff rankings are concerned. Like I said, uh, Georgia best team in the nation at twelve and zero. They're number one. Michigan is at number two at eleven and one. They move up from number three to number two. Alabama's number three ranked team in the country at eleven and one. Cincinnati undefeated at twelve and zero. Notre Dame is the sixth. Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State, or excuse me, Oklahoma State is number five at eleven and one. Those are your top six records of the college football uh, playoff that you need to keep that you need to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, C- you know Cincinnati, especially because they're not uh, a part of the Power Five. You know, you won't you won't expect them to lose. Uh, you won't expect them to lose this Sunday in their game coming up against uh, Houston in the athletic in the excuse me in the American Athletic Conference Championship game on Sunday. They're ten and a half point favorites. Uh, but if they do, you know they're out. They're done. They're finished. Michigan against Iowa. Uh, of course, Alabama Georgia is the best game on paper, so to speak. Uh, you also have. Uh, in the Pac-12 championship game, uh, if you're interested in that, in Oregon and Utah, but that's where you stand as far as the top four, as far as the uh, CFP is concerned. And there you get news uh, off the field. Uh, we'll do Brian Kelly first because he kind of uh, correlates with the college football playoff. Uh, like I said, Notre Dame is ranked sixth. So if Notre Dame, who's on the outside looking in at six. You know they could they could now 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 essentially him leaving him le- he must have gotten word at he must have gotten word you know so either somebody in the Notre Dame higher ups or somebody must have told him must have told him that hey you know there's a very slim to none chance that Notre Dame is going to make the uh, that's going to make the top four and if you do you know you're probably going to have to run into to uh, Georgia. Or uh, or Michigan and, may, and maybe even Alabama, depending on what happens on Saturday, and get your doors blown off in the college football playoff like you have been the last couple of times that you've been there. But Notre Dame, who's sitting at number six, who if Ohio, who if Oklahoma, who if they have Oklahoma State loses and Georgia beats the living hell out of Alabama, and Cincinnati gets upset by Houston. Either either of those two, th- either of those couple of things happening, Notre Dame could, it would be impossible. Notre Dame could have found its way within the top four of the, of the college football playoff. And for Brian Kelly, and I am shocked that not a lot of people, at least or the people that I listen to and watch on radio and TV, I am surprised that nobody 
has gone out there and, and destroyed and killed Brian Kelly. Not necessarily for taking the LSU job, but for taking his job but for taking the job essentially in the middle of the season and leaving his players and leaving his team out the dry the way he has. I mean and I've seen it and listen, I've been a football fan college and NFL, been a football fan for a long, long time, and I can recall many circumstances of many, many of uh, of many uh, situations where coaches from other teams get hired from get hired by you know whether it be college programs or NFL teams, and and the and the coach and the coaches on a team is on a champion championship contending team. And it may leak while they're in the maybe not leak, but it will come to light and it will be there for everybody to see, you know, everybody to see on the Internet and in the media and everywhere else that after after this season's over, they're going to leave their current employer. They leave their current NFL team, leave the, the college that they coach at and go coach somewhere else. But that's after the but that's after the the uh, the current season is already concluded or the team that they're that they're coaching on is knocked out of whatever playoff tournament they're in you know the college football playoff uh, you know college football playoff BCS whatever you know new year's six bowl game NFL playoffs you name it but uh and and and, uh, and you always see you know they take the job, but they're still committed to the team that they're a part of because they owe it. They owe it to the fans. They owe it to their assistant coaches, and they owe it to the players. Are that you know they that they ask and require a lot of that go out there and work at work out until until you know until they can't until. They, you know, until their muscles tense up, where you know, they lift up their arm and it feels like they're lifting a, you know, a fifty-pound barbell, or their legs feel, or their legs feel like spaghetti noodles because they didn't work them out so much. You know, they 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 treat them in essence as if they're going through military boot camp. You know, you got to be up at a certain time. You got to do this, 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 and this. The rigorous workout routine, film study, vigorous practices. Hold nine yards. They ask a lot at at the NFL level and D one A in college. They ask a lot out of these guys, and they say, "Hey, as much as I ask of these guys, I can at least at least you know show a little bit of consideration for them and say, hey, you guys are still number one on my mind until, especially if they're a coach of a contending, a championship contending team." You you guys are number one until our season is over, and then once our season's over, then I will take that next step forward into my next endeavor. But for now, I I'm lockstep with you guys. You know, for a perfect, you know, the number one thing I think of all the time is when it was new, when it was leaked that Buddy Ryan was going to be the next uh, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And although, you know, he wanted the opportunity to be head coach, you know, to be a head coach in the National Football League, and of course the anger and the and the uh, and the bitterness and the jealousy between him and Ditka ensued, which is which probably one of the reasons why they drove you know drove Buddy out the door. Buddy was still committed to making sure that they finished the job, finished the deal, and made sure that that historic, classic 
85 Bears defense went out on top as Super Bowl champions. He, you know, he didn't. He, you know, he didn't. You know, pick up his things and 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 leave the Bears out to dry, heading into the Patriot, heading into the Patriot game, and ship himself up to uh, ship himself up to Philadelphia to make sure that the '86 Eagles all squared away and organized. You know, when the when the current season isn't even you know is uh isn't even finished yet. So I was very surprised, and it was very very selfish. Self-centered, self-indulgent, and uh, and and just and just a a rotten thing to do on Brian Kelly's part to leave his team hanging out the leave his leave his not necessarily the Notre Dame organization or the school, but his 2021 Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team leaving leaving them and hanging them out the dry when their season is not exactly over yet. They're going to play a bowl game regardless. There is there was a great chance they could end up playing, be a part of the Final Four and playing in the college football playoff for a national championship anyway. And he picks his and he picks his stuff, picks his stuff up and and, and picks his stuff, picks it. Why can't I speak English? Picks him, picks his stuff up and leaves to go take the LSU job. I mean that 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 is weak. I'm I'm sorry that that is weak. You ask so much of your players again. The equivalent of going through boot camp in the middle. Now, now I I understand for a much lesser cost, uh, cause fighting in the military to being a part of the football team. Got to put things in perspective. But as far as the itinerary that you have to have, and the order and the structure, and, and how much you know your higher ups demand of you, it's rel it's relative. You you might as well be you might as well be in, in the military. You know when it comes to the you know when it comes to the intricate details of how much your higher ups expect of you and the strictness and the discipline, uh, you know that uh, you know that gets carried out throughout the program might as well be. You know get it getting up at a certain time, having a certain workout regimen. You know if you you know if you're if you're late by by a minute or thirty seconds, you know it's there's hell to pay. Uh, you have to be lockstep in order. You know no one person's bigger than the team. All of that, and they ask so much of these players that give you know they give out their heart and soul to play to play for Brian Kelly. Now I understand you know you go to the school, you go to the school to play for the school to uh, to be a part of the university that you go to, but it's just a very rotten and selfish, self centered thing for Brian Kelly to do to pick his stuff up and to pick his stuff up and leave and hang and hang his LSU team. Not necessarily, again, not necessarily the university or the program itself, because he'd been there a while. But his specific 2021 team, it was selfish to his players and his assistant coaches to pick his stuff up and, and go south to Baton Rouge. And, 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 and not even give them the common courtesy to, you know, to say, you know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there come Christmas. Not no, not not even Christmas. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there come mid January. You know, doc, doc, by Doctor King, by Doctor King Day, I'll be there. You know, or or not even or not even tell the LSU people, uh, guys. Yes, I, yes, I, yeah. I, I like the job. I appreciate and I'm thankful for the opportunity. I will take the job. But here's the thing: I don't expect me to come down to Baton Rouge anytime soon. 
I, I'm, well, I'm still in the middle of this football season. We're a good football team. We have a chance to make the Final Four. If you make the Final Four, albeit our chance have been successful as of late, but if you're, well, if you're one of the four teams, all you got to do is win one game and compete for a national championship. That's what he should have said. It said, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. I still got unfinished business here in South Bend. That's how you handle it. And what you certainly do not do is wake your team up at 7 o'clock in the morning and have a you know five little 10-minute meeting with them and then, st- and then storm your way out the door. And, you know, all off to Baton Rouge and Death Valley, here I come. That's not that's not the way you handle it. Very unbecoming, very unprofessional, very selfish, and very self-centered. You know that that that's just that's just unacceptable. I'm sorry, just not 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 the way you handle it at all. I mean he he went he went out he went out there he he left uh, Notre Dame and left and left uh, South Bend. Like a uh, you know like a like a bull exiting exiting out of a china shop after they after they done destroyed it for thirty minutes. Says uh, you know the 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 job was too good to pass up. Not denying that, but you know, a a why are you waking people at seven o'clock in the morning to tell them right in the middle of a season which they're competing for? One like one like uh, Notre Dame was. Uh, you know, five and seven, or uh, or hovering around five hundred, or you know, ranked twenty fifth in the country. You know, the, C- the CFP rankings—they're ranked sixth. They're eleven and one. Couple things break. Couple things break their way. You know, they're playing. They're they're you know they're playing to go to the national championship later in the month. That's just not the way you handle it. I understand. Too good to pass up. I get that. I get that. Totally understand it. But there's a way you handle it. And he handled it poorly. And he handled it like a like a coward. You got you gotta be fair, you gotta be honest. And if him to wake his team up at seven o'clock in the morning and essentially spend about ten minutes with him and then it's off on a chartered flight to Baton Rouge, that's weak. Um, that, that that's weak. And then totally classless. Classless. For a, what for for a ten year ninety five million dollar contract? I mean, come on. Again, your team is ele- is eleven and one. Eleven. The only way, the only way to semi excuse and to give some sort of reasoning to Kelly leaving and leaving Notre Dame out to dry is if he must have been told by either somebody within that committee or somebody within Notre Dame who's close to someone within the committee that said, hey. Even if this, this, and this happens, the chances of you making it is is either slim to none, or if you make it, this is who you're playing, and odds are you know good and well, especially given given y'all's history in this little tournament, that you guys would have gotten embarrassed on television yet again and gotten dragged all throughout social media like you did last year against Bama. That's the only little explanation and reasoning he has for leaving the way he did. And even and even after that, it you, know, st- you still gotta handle it better than he did. It's not right. It's not right. No, wait, wake your team up seven o'clock in the morning and tell them that you're leaving for LSU, where your team's eleven and one and and one of the top 
you know, and ranked within the top six teams in the nation with a chance to make the college football playoff, that 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 that'd be a little hard to stomach if that was me. Especially if you woke me, especially if you woke me up early early in the morning to tell me to tell to tell me in person, and, and they didn't have the dignity or the respect to uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, at least spend forty five minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, tell you know, sharing stories and telling us goodbye, you know, five, five to eleven minutes, and then that's out, and then that's it, that's the end of it, you know, I'll I'll see you when I see you. It's not right. No, if, if 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 I tell you, if it was me, and, and somebody came by, came by in my you know dorm room or wherever I was sleeping at South Bend, and said, "Hey, you know, coaches, coaches leaving, wants to say goodbye," and I look up and I look at my phone, I see it's seven o'clock in the morning. I'm telling, I'm telling my teammate, my roommate, whoever woke me up, I I I tell them, and I and I'd say, if you want to, you can relay it to the coach. Tell him to go to hell. Uh, if I, I'll, I'll see him the next time I see him, and if I ever see him again, it'll be too soon. I, 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 I tell him if, 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 if he wants the message, and if anybody asks why I'm not there, I'd say from, from right from, right from the horse's mouth. Tell Brian Kelly to go to hell. He ain't waking me up seven o'clock in the morning to tell him, to tell me you're leaving when you swore up and down that you weren't. Hang, leaving us, hanging us, and leaving us out to dry. When we're trying to compete for a national championship, we have a pretty good freaking chance to get into the playoff to begin with and go to run down to Baton Rouge to take the LSU job. That's a joke. And and if I was one of his players at, at South Bend, I'd be incensed. Incensed. It's not the way you do it. Now, in my opinion, you go down unless you know, you know, unless it's unless it's Nick Saban that comes knocking at your door, you know, you you go to the college, especially if you want to play college ball, not just football, but basketball, basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever it is. If you want to play college athletics, especially at a big times, a big time uh, notarized school. Or uh, not notarized, but a big time, uh, well known, popular school such as Notre Dame or anything or anywhere else. You know what you do? Again, unless unless the coach is Saban, unless it's Saban, unless it's Coach K, who's now of course is going to retire, or or Roy Williams prior to him prior to him retiring, unless it's one of those guys, those guys that are that have been mainstays at the programs that they that they coached at for. For you know, for decades, you go. To, you not only go to the school because they want you there on scholarship. If you're blessed to have that opportunity given to you, you also go to the school because you want to go to that school, <coughs> and you also like to play on their team and represent them on the athletic field. You you know the put where well, you're proud to be a Notre Dame Fighting Irish. You're proud to be a Georgia Bulldog. You're proud to be a Maryland Terrapin. And you also enjoy going to school at that university, at that little small town, at that state. Go to the school because you want to go to that school. 
not just not necessarily and not just because a coach comes knocking on your door and promises you this, 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 and this. Because, because on the flip side, they promise that they'll change your life, that they'll get your, <coughs> excuse me, that if you're living in destitute situations, if you're living in an impoverished community, that they'll get you out of poverty, they'll take care of your family, they'll take care of your siblings, they'll take care of your, your parents, your grand, your, you know, your grandmother, whoever it may be. They'll set you up in a situation for you to go pro in the NFL, NBA, wherever. And yet all it takes is for a school that's either jealous of the school that came to your house to recruit you or a school that wants better for themselves just for the sake of wanting to be successful. All it takes is one school, one program of whatever sport you pick it, basketball, Basketball, ice skating, golf, hockey, football, you pick the sport. All it takes is one school with with an opening and a blank checkbook. And it's and it's, you know, click your heels three times and pray to God that, that the same coach is still there. Because in the case of Brian Kelly's case, they will they will throw you to the wolves and forget about you and chase that almighty dollar and hang you out the dry so fast the window would hit you. So keep that in mind as well. Lincoln Riley was also another big name uh coach <coughs> excuse me that left Oklahoma to take another job in another conference in the other part of the country as he says good night. And uh, takes the uh, USC job. He'll make it. He'll uh, help the Pac-12, the conference that has been uh, hemorrhaging for that ha not hemorrhaging, but has been dying for relevance for quite a long time now. Big time uh, coach at uh, Oklahoma. Who you know, if you ask a bunch of Oklahoma fans, you know maybe they've underachieved. You know, they haven't necessarily played as best ball up to Oklahoma fan standards, but. He also takes uh, the, uh, he, not also, but he uh, moves on from the University of Oklahoma to take the uh, U.S., to take the LSC, the LSC, to take the USC job, uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, well, there's a lot, there's also been a lot of friction within Oklahoma uh, as well. Uh, you see, because Lincoln Riley, uh, and Lincoln Riley was quoted of saying how, uh, Oak, how, uh, how, was quoted of saying at USC, how, uh, USC is going to be the Mecca of college football. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, one of his uh, old players, uh, and one of his old players, see if I can get his name. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, defensive lineman, said he told said said in reply that he told us that last week. So you know, hey, like I previously said, hopefully this will uh, you know, hopefully this will uh, send a message to future uh, future hopeful college athletes 
uh, down the path, especially in college football. You know, go to a school. And if I had, and if I had a son who was about uh, who was about seventeen, eighteen years of age, looking to play and had the potential to play D one A college football, here's what I would tell him. Listen, unless it is saving knocking at your door, go to a college and go to a school where you will <clears throat> fall in love with not necessarily the coach you play for and, and and you will want to play college football just because that coach came to your door and knocked on your door and shook your hand and beat you and said, hey, I promise you this, 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 and this. Don't just play for them just because of that. Go to a place where you will feel comfortable if the if there's a situation to come up where even if the coach leaves for whatever the reason, health, a better job opportunity, he has to retire, he gets caught up in a, some scandal, he has to and he either gets fired, he has to resign, whatever. Pick a place where you, where if that coach that recruits you is gone, either in a year, two years, or three years, or by or before the, or before year four, if you end up playing four years of uh, college ball, if you're either if you're either not good enough to make it to the NFL in three or two, or if you want to play the full four years, pick a place where if that coach that comes to recruit you leaves or is not there anymore for whatever the reason. Pick a place where you will still be comfortable playing for for your for your teammates, for yourself, and for the school that you go to, and for the school that you represent, with or without the coach that came to your door and hired you. Make sure you pick a place where you will be comfortable playing football for representing and playing for the school that you choose, and also be comfortable and make sure that you enjoy going to school at the school. That you choose to go to. <clears throat> the school that you choose to go to. That's the lesson to be learned from that. Make sure you go to Oklahoma. Because you want to go to Oklahoma. Don't just pick up any school. Within the 50 states. Just because a ra- just because a random coach. Comes to your door. And says hey. I give Here's a scholarship. And you're promised to be a starter. If you commit to the University of Oklahoma. Or if you commit to the University of Notre Dame. Make sure that if you pick a school. You would actually be comfortable. Of, st- of staying at that university. And or college. If the coach leaves. Because you, you know, that, that, that can be a trap. That can be a trap. That can be a trap. Because all it takes is, is 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 one NFL team or one college program that's looking to inject a little life into their team with money to spend and a blank check. All it takes. It's all it takes. And the coach will be going so fast, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. That's the lesson to be learned and with Riley leaving, and that's the lesson to be learned with Kelly leaving. Kelly will get USC in top-tier shape 
LSU and, and Brian Kelly has a chance to compete in LSU. Orgeron won at LSU. Les Miles won at LSU. Saban, although he's an all-time great, one of his national championships came at LSU. So expect LSU to be back and to be good uh, within the uh, near future. So uh, keep that in the back of your mind as well. And Riley will turn around a USC program that has not been the same uh, since P- since Pete Carroll since uh, Pete Carroll left uh, SC for C- for the Seahawks franchise has been the same in a better part of the last twenty years or so. So he will get them, and uh, he will get them back. And SC will also, uh, you know. Get, help get the Pac-12 on its feet as far as their uh, as far as their football teams are concerned uh, as well. But that is your program and another episode of the I'm a Telling Italians podcast in the books. If you love what you heard and you're new to the program, please subscribe if you haven't already. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. The show on Twitter at Amatella underscore ITIS. Special thanks to Urinating Tree for coming on and joining us. Follow him on Twitter at Urinating Tree and be sure to subscribe to his YouTube ta- channel, excuse me, as well. Talk to you guys on Friday. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See ya.